Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Bob Varsha, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. Good morning, gearheads. Welcome to Speed City F1 on Sirius XM, our pre-race show for the Formula One Sao Paulo Grand Prix happening at the iconic Interlagos Circuit. This racetrack sees the highest number of overtakes on the calendar, and the action-packed sprint race yesterday showed us just that. What a fantastic sprint race. This is John Massengale, and I am in the studio in Austin, Texas, going to be joined by my team, Bob Varsha and Chris Medlin. Jonathan Green is not going to be with us today. He is out doing some commentary at Circuit of the Americas. They have... Formula 3, I guess they call it the Formula Regionals here in the United States. Formula 4, he's doing uh, vintage racing, all sorts of commentary out at Coda. But we are excited because, as I said at the top of the show yesterday, the sprint race was a fantastic race, and we should expect more of the same. With We saw so much racing up and down the grid. In fact, that race flew by. It was a 24-lap race, and it felt like about half of that. But also today, we, uh, as you might have noticed, we're coming on early. We've got a two-hour pre-race show today, and in the uh, followed by the race right after that, and our post-race show, one-hour post-race show today. And we also have a special guest today because Connor Daly, one of America's most popular race drivers and one of my favorite racing personalities, he's going to come on the show and share his thoughts on the sport that we all know and love as Formula One. And I am joined this morning by one of the uh, the gentlemen who needs no introduction from his studio headquarters in Atlanta, America's voice of motorsport, Bob Varsha. Good morning, Bob. Are you ready for more of what we saw yesterday in the sprint race? Well, I am. Um, I also have some commentary on all the bitching afterwards about the tires, but we have plenty of time for that today. Good to be with you guys. Hope I didn't frighten you by simply losing track of time. <laughs> No worries, Bob. And also joining us is Chris Medlin, who normally has to fight his way through the hordes of sharp elbow journalists at every race. He's joining us. And I wish the... he was doing it this weekend. I know it. And he's uh, joining us from the relative calm of the Medlin <coughs> Technology Center in the UK. But fear not, Chris, I know you. You probably have your finger on the pulse of all things F1 and ready to bring us the very latest from every team, even if you're not at the track today. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of WhatsApp this this morning and uh, been listening to bits of audio that have been sent back to me and things like that. So I've been trying to stay on top of it. But like Bob says, I mean, uh, yeah, it would have been great to have been there for this one. Um, brutal calendar to blame. And uh, this one was earmarked from a long way out. It was the only one I'm missing since, well, before the summer break. So great timing, wasn't it? But it does mean I actually get to sit in one place and chat with you guys on a stable connection for once, which is uh, yes. rarely the case, isn't it? I'm normally uh, in and out when I'm running around a paddock or the pit lane. <clears throat> It's true. It's about half the fun, though, Chris, wondering whether the connections are going to get you through the interview. But, man, I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited for this because of what we saw yesterday, primarily. But, of course, because of the magic of Interlagos and the history and everything else, I, I just I just think it's fantastic. And, and Chris, I want to start with you and just get your first take on San Paolo today. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm really excited about it. I mean, this is the the track. I've written it enough times over the last few days that on average sees the most overtaking of all the circuits that are on the current calendar. And I mean, it, it was true yesterday, wasn't it? The, the way it was all set up, the way the DRS was working. But I was making a list, actually. I write the uh, strategy guide and what to watch for features for Formula One's website. And 
we had a lot of overtaking everywhere on the track. It wasn't just DRS aided. We had moves at pretty much every corner in the infield as well. Uh, and I think that then always tees it up that anything can kind of happen when you get wheel to wheel racing, but you're never really locked into, okay, that's the, that's going to be the finishing order after the first five or 10 laps. Uh, we will say Max Verstappen accepted because quite often if he does disappear up the road early on, you know, we don't see him again. But even if he then has to fight his way through, that others can make it life difficult for him because they can overtake and repass. And yeah, it just, it's a track that really seems to, it's very rare that we get a boring race here. And I'd say the opposite was true a week ago in Mexico City where the atmosphere is brilliant and the run to turn one's excellent. But quite often after the first few laps, you know, they're, they're pretty much stuck in position. So. Yeah, it's right. looking uh, looking good for today, I think. As, like you say, yesterday set it up quite nicely as well with everything we saw. Well, Jonathan Green's not with us today, but he and I sat down for just a few minutes, and I wanted to get his take on Sao Paulo because he's been there many times. He was there, as, you, as you'll hear, uh, back in the 90s, back in the Ayrton Senna days. So uh, let's hear this chat with Jonathan and I. Jonathan Green, how are you, my friend? Good, looking forward. That's just, uh, this is the big one. This is a big one. We were talking about it today, me and Bob and Chris, and it's just something special. It's just got a really special, historic, old school feel about it, doesn't it? Yeah, and there's a reason for that, because it, it really truly is old school. Uh, the track, uh, the history, and the drivers that have graced Formula One from Brazil over the years ha have kind of com combined to make this one of the jewels in the crown, even though... It's not got a great reputation as being the smoothest track or the easiest track or the most sophisticated track. Um, you know, it's built in the middle of Sao Paulo, which has grown since it was built between the late 30s and early 40s from uh, a city of what, 5 million to now probably 20 million. So <laughs> it's kind of uh, it's kind of aged while the rest of the city has grown up around it. Well, I know you've been busy out at Coda, but. You saw the news, I'm sure, that they're extended it to 2030, the new contract. So that's huge news, too. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. The country of Brazil is, I can only akin it to perhaps um, Italy in terms of the interest, the fans, and the amount of drivers, successful drivers that have come from Brazil and, and been part of Formula One over the, over the years. Um, and long may it continue. Uh, every time a young ex-carter arrives uh, in Britain to do Formula 3, there's always a bit of anticipation and excitement. <laughs> and it's kind of that way in Indy too. Uh, there's been some great uh, Brazilian IndyCar drivers as well. So Brazilians just you know, carry a sense of potential with them. <laughs> well, look, I know you've been to Sao Paulo and Lagos many times, Jonathan. Uh, I, wanna, I just want to get your take on this because it is something special. Yeah, it is. I went in the mid-90s, and by then, of course, it was well-established. As I said, it was built in, th uh, in 36 to 40, just before World War II. Um, and then it really didn't gain prominence. There was like three venues. They wanted to go to Rio. They had races in Rio. They swapped between Sao Paulo and Rio um, and one other circuit. But uh, it wasn't really until uh, a native from Sao Paulo, Emerson Fittipaldi, you know the name, um, uh, sort of began making successful forays. He and his brother Wilson went to England, as I just described, started in Formula 3, and Emerson going on to become a, uh, a two-time world champion and also a winner twice uh, of the Brazilian Grand Prix. And it was in those early 70s, 73, 74, that um, the interest in the Sao Paulo-Interlagos circuits, Interlagos meaning uh, between lakes, 
Um, and it's always had a sort of classic setting. The circuit itself is, is like I said, right in the middle of the city. So the walls, uh, you know, people climbing over the walls to get in, great atmosphere, tight, not easy to go to as a, as a team. The, the pits are small, they're old. Um, there was brownouts when I was there in the 90s even. It's also now, unfortunately, right in the middle of the favelas. And I say unfortunately, but that's the poorest part. Favelas means literally the, the shanty towns of um, Brazil. So it's a, it's, a, it's a risky place to go at times. But over the years, um, when the Brazilian Grand Prix was in town, any crime was kind of pushed aside and said, look, this is putting Brazil on the map. So just as Asia put itself on the map with Formula One in the last decade, Back in the 70s and 80s, that's how Brazil got on the map. It wouldn't be a destination, a tourist destination uh, for most Europeans watching Formula One. But gradually over the years, um, it's gained the popularity and a notoriety uh, for putting Brazil and Brazilian sport on the map. The only other sport to do that, of course, is the the uh, absolutely incredible Brazilian soccer team. So soccer and motorsport kind of hand in hand. Well, and when you think of Brazilian motorsports, the, the name Ayrton Senna just you know, comes immediately to mind, Jonathan. I know that it's, it's just, you know, one of the most special names in our sport. Yeah, and before I get to Senna, because that was kind of my era, um, Carlos Pass, uh, the, the, which is the autodromo Carlos Pass, that's how it's named after. He was there in the 70s, 75, he won it. I mentioned uh, Philippe Aldi, Emerson won it twice in the 70s. Nelson Piquet was the next guy uh, <laughs> in the 90s. And of course, that's all before Senna's big time. He was a three-time world champion. And then, of course, Senna came along. He won the Brazilian Grand Prix in 91 uh, and in 93. It seems like uh, <laughs> Brazilians get two two bites at it. Massa won it twice as well, another Brazilian, and loved, um, you know, Sao Paulo native. Um, but, yeah, Senna really put it on the map. There's no question. And he was the loved son of Sao Paulo. And it was at a time where, in fact, the Suttons, the cameraman that um, you know well, the two brothers, Made their name yeah. on Ed and Senna's photography over the years. And so Senna kind of put both Interlagos and Brazilian motor racing on the map. And since Senna, um, you know, you, you, there's a who's who of who, you know, Pedro Diniz was in my mid 90s era, Bruno Senna, of course, nephew, Barrichello, Degrassi, Christian Fittipaldi, now Enzo and, um, uh, 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 sorry, Enzo and uh, Pietro Filippaldi, yeah, yeah, yeah. current, current drivers, and both looking as though they may get into um, uh, for uh, to Indy cars, or in fact, one of them already has in Pietro, but Enzo's now looking. And then uh, closer to the home for me, um, Roberto Moreno is with him today uh, as he's working in uh, Formula uh, Regional here. Uh, he was uh, a Formula One driver from Brazil. And then you've got Bernaldi, Zonta, uh, you name it, uh, Lucas de Grassi in Formula E. So Brazilians have got an unbelievable history, but Senna really, you know, changed that for Brazil and made it almost a, a patriotic thing to be a Brazilian motorsport fan uh, to the fact that in 94, in May, when he sadly passed away on the fourth round um, of the championship, they'd already raced in Brazil and he actually crashed out of that race because the car that Williams that he was driving just wasn't up to spec and it wasn't at Imola either. But they had three days of national mourning. That just gives you an idea of what it meant to the country of Brazil. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's um, it's shaping up to be a great weekend because the sprint race today was really phenomenal. I know you you know work in Dakota, but it was it honestly we talked about it. It felt like about ten minutes. It was yes. twenty four laps, 
there was battle up and down, and this weekend looks like it's going to be hopefully the same. And um, I mean, on Sunday, and I'm I'm just I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and what defines the Brazilian Grand Prix is that first corner. It's it's a really tricky downhill uh, left hander, then right and left again before the first mini straight. And you know the the, the sort of claim is if you get through those S's by hook or by crook, then you've got a chance of winning the Brazil, uh, Brazilian Grand Prix. And then, of course, that long run that goes long, long way up. It goes, it's quite a lot of undulation. I did uh, commentary there on the inside of the track, and I hadn't realized just how much undulation there was uh, until I got there. Um, but it's that last corner, too, seems to go on forever. Uh, and there's been some championships won and lost there at that first corner. And... Uh, on the run to the line up the hill, we'll never forget 2008, Massa winning the race, but Hamilton doing enough to take fifth place. And they're still debating that to this day, Massa in court currently over the Brazilian Grand Prix and going back to the Singapore Grand Prix of 2008. So, yeah, it's been a it's been a site of some pretty interesting Formula One races. Well, what's your favorite memory of something that was happened while you were there? Um. To be honest, just the atmosphere when uh, Ruben Barrichello uh, came out uh, and he he actually didn't have a great reputation, uh, not reputation, he didn't have a great uh, luck at the Brazilian Grand Prix, did Ruben. But the love that they had and the loss of Senna, which Barrichello effectively replaced because they raced in the same era. And so he became the favoured son after Senna went uh, and they just loved him. So I was there to see him literally uh, doing the, you know, doing the sort of track track walk and track uh, run round before with all the other drivers. But there was nobody else there for anybody. It was literally, um, you know, all about Barrichello. But if you beat a Brazilian at the Brazilian Grand Prix, as Mansell and Reutemann and many others have done uh, over the years, you also get a lot of respect. And so they love their motor racing. And um, it's just, you know, I think, I think what I take away from Sao Paulo is, is the carnival atmosphere uh, of the of the place where everybody is there to enjoy it and it's a national celebration not just something for motor racing fans well i feel like that all the drivers can feel that that history that that it is something special and i think that's probably what made today a great sprint race so all right johnny green i know you got to go and uh we're gonna miss you i'll get i'll get chris's take on the latest what because i know he's been to sao paulo many times but but uh have a good day at coda and uh We'll see you soon. All right. May the best man win. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's get a quick break in. When we come back, I will get your take on the uh, the modern Sao Paulo, Chris. And you're listening to Speed City F1. Back after these messages. All right. We're still live on YouTube and Facebook. See how the boys are doing out there. Looks like the usual suspects and more out there. TW says, hey, race fans. Mike Bowles says, hey, hello, TNW. Good morning from Arkansas, says Kevin Kelly. Yeah, guys. Yeehaw. Yeah, what's that, Bob? Yeehaw. Yeehaw, <laughs> Arkansas. Man, it is a foggy day in Austin. You can't, I can... I actually had uh, had to slow down coming to the studio. No. <laughs> actually, well, I remember uh, that was it Friday or Saturday at uh, at Coda was 
foggy as all get out. Yeah. Yeah, really bad, wasn't it? We were complaining yeah. to the race organizers. We told them to clear it. <laughs> hey, could you get that? Well, I was, afraid, I was afraid there, you know, we'd have more medevac helicopter issues. If you don't have the chopper, you can't run a race. So, so they sent the vintage Formula One guys out there. Yeah, have fun. <laughs> we can't see you, but I hope it's a good race. So last week, Casey had a brake disc on fire. This morning, I came out to a flat tire on the on the old Beamer, so I had to take my daughter's car. You mean my Beamer? Yes, your Beamer. Damn. For those who don't know, John probably has the uh, the only existing 20-year-old BMW, what is it, an E30 or something? E39, uh, yeah. With a man manual transmission. <laughs> yes, as yeah. it should be. As it should yeah, be. Yeah, absolutely as it should be. And it's a sweet shifting car, too. It's incredible. Yeah, the, I bought that thing off Craigslist. It's got a quarter million miles and has been really, really well taken care of. It's really a fun. Yep. <clears throat> Here we go. Hello to everyone. This is Gunter Steiner. This is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back. John Massagill, Bob Varsha, and Chris Medland uh, joining you this morning for a special two-hour pre-race show, getting ready for the Formula One Sao Paulo Grand Prix. And our special guest coming on here in about 15 minutes is uh, Connor Daly, one of my favorites, is going to come and join us. And one of the reasons I wanted Connor to come on, because... Connor is going to be doing some Formula One commentary. He's going to be on the PA with Bob Varsha and Jonathan Green out mm -hmm. in uh, Las Vegas. That'll be fun, Bob. Absolutely it will be, although it kind of takes me full circle. I've mentioned this before, but Connor and his father, Derek, will become the third pair of fathers and sons that I've worked with uh, in my 40 years of doing this, following up David and uh, Guy Hobbs. And uh, Derek and Justin Bell. I think those are the only three huh. multi-generational talents I've worked with. Huh. That's great. Hey. And Connor will, I think he has this distinction. He'll be the first professional driver to attack the Las Vegas course. We've arranged for him to go out in a course car at uh, like two in the morning in Las Vegas to, uh, to take some laps in anger and, and see what a driver sees on this race course. I don't want to call myself a professional driver all attack or attacking laps in anger, but the day that they announced the race, confirmed it, I was there um, with my now wife in Las Vegas. We went and covered the launch event uh, and we went out at about 3am or 4am uh, to drive the track. And it was only what you could drive. So at that point, you didn't have the pit paddock complex or anything like that. Nothing was built. This would have been... 18 months ago, I guess. So it shows you how quickly they turned everything around. But I, yeah, I was uh, quite excited to be able to say, oh, we've driven uh, <laughs> driven the Las Vegas Grand Prix circuit. But even then, I, I guess the, the sphere, the incredible sphere that they've built, uh, that yeah. was still yet to be completed as well at that point. So you couldn't drive around that fully. We could go around some access roads and half do it. But um, yeah, it'd be very cool for someone like Connor to get to really, A, just even if you're just pooping around, it'd be great. But uh to push it will be a lot of fun. 
<laughs> and I don't suppose any other wannabe race drivers have checked out the Las Vegas course at three in the morning since then. That's just not likely. <laughs> no, not at all. Nobody would do such a thing, would they? And we would never condone no, it either. Uh, we would not sure. suggest that anybody in the Las Vegas area who wants to go and drive a Grand Prix circuit should uh, get out at that time. <laughs> Hey, hey! Does anybody know is you two performing at Sphere when uh, when we're there? I know they're only doing like two dozen shows. I don't, I don't know. know. My falls on Las Vegas. Weekend. My brother just went. Sean to Kelly that. would know. Yeah, that's huh? true. My brother just went to you two in the Sphere, and he said it was a incredible experience. He said that religious. He was like, he was like, so you're going to be there for a few days. You're going to try to get to go to the Sphere. I said. I am going to be flat out. I will probably not get to have any time to do that. I, I mean, I may be able to see it from the outside, obviously, but I don't think I'm going to be able to go see a concert in the sphere. But I think that would be cool. And I think it's, I mean, from the outside, it's on, on TV. It just looks incredible. I can't wait to get up there. But And just to be didactic about this, it's not the sphere. It's sphere ah. or the Las Vegas sphere. You mean it's the not like the Facebook? Yeah, <laughs> Jim Dolan from New York, Orleans, Madison Square Garden, and all this other stuff. He's very particular about that. It's ah. Sphere. Okay. Well, Chris Medlin, I said that I would get your take after we got Johnny Green's take on um, Sao Paulo and Interlagos. And he's been there many times, you know, but in the 90s and in the 2000s. But you've been there many times recently. I, I just want to get your comparison to Jonathan's take. Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of it is exactly the same in the sense that the location of the circuit is one of the things that's both brilliant about it and atmospheric and also almost a little bit um jarring i guess like you have this multi-billion dollar sport that comes in and is racing these immense uh, race cars bringing vips in wine and dining people uh, and genuinely a few yards away is the barrier or the the fencing and and favelas yeah the um the kind of shanty towns which slums yeah exactly it's it's they've invested more in that region recently so parts have been improved but other parts are still very very run down and that means a it must be horrible for the people that live there that they're looking in at all of this wealth and uh, grandeur that you know really doesn't reflect what their life is like uh, but b it does increase the risk of crime in that area and it's the it's the only place that i'm aware of because I know the teams were talking about it last week in Mexico when we were talking about getting in and out of there. It's the only place where teams change out of team kit and don't wear team kit when traveling in and out of the venue so that they're mm -hmm. not quite so obvious. Uh, they're still traveling together in in convoys or in um, minibuses and vans, but they're, they're trying to make themselves look a little less obvious because they get targeted. And it's happened multiple times, even yep. when I've been there. Uh, I've had quite a few occasions where I've I'm quite lucky traveling on your own. You jump in an Uber from outside the circuit and anyone, you know, you stop in traffic somewhere and anyone who's looking to target uh, something lucrative to try and steal things. One person sat in the back of a car isn't really worth much, but yeah. they see a minibus and, and they will ram it. Um, and it's happened a few times where they've uh, other teams have then had to go off different routes. They have escape drivers to try and get them out. So that's always a bit of a, a concern when you go there, but, in another way, it does kind of add to the fact that you've gone to a very different part of the world to to go racing. And it it does reflect, as Johnny says, the history, the fact that this was a city that has built up around it and is uh, so immense now, so vast, and still has the same venue. I kind of miss the old layout when you see that. When you go there, and I, I quite often run all the tracks, and as you get to turn one, 
you can see where the circuit used to go straight on at turn one rather than take the center S's. Uh, and it would go straight on a long sweeping left uh, and eventually double back on itself and come back up what is now the run to turn four and then double back on itself again. And it kind of, there's a few horseshoes in the infield, but it was much longer, faster test, uh, which I think looks very cool. And I, I do hope that they don't remove sections of that that still exists just to, again, be a nod to that history because it's, uh, it's one of the... Uh, the things that bring you closest to it, the room, you know, the, the yeah. fans, the setting, that all still adds to that atmosphere. But seeing these little details that are reflective of the past are, are very, very cool as well. Uh, but it's it is a place that it's always been tough to go to for Formula One. It's a long way from mm-hmm. anywhere in the sense of you know the Mexico City flight direct there was nine and a half hours, I think. But for anyone going from the UK bases, then they're looking at fourteen hours, fifteen hours of travel, uh, but only a few hours time zone difference. So it quite often becomes quite a quiet race. As you can tell, actually, you know, the fact that I'm here, uh, I'm not alone in this being one that was highlighted as not being on the ground for, especially with Vegas coming up in a couple of weeks. And that meant that you tend to get just something a little special when you're there. You feel like you're part of a really hmm. almost like hardcore crowd that just want to be there because it's Interlagos. That's the reason. It's that yeah. track. It's <clears throat> being in that circuit. So, uh, and it throws up some amazing, amazing moments sometimes, like last last year with Haas getting on pole, you know, out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right. and the crowd, because it's like a natural bowl, certainly where the, the grandstands are at the top over the finish line, uh, the crowd is just immense, the noise it makes. Yeah. Uh, and just to follow up on, again, something Johnny said in terms of Senna, uh, I was there when Bruno Senna drove one of Ayrton's old McLarens on a demonstration run a few years ago. I think it was 2019 and genuinely had goosebumps. And I've never felt quite so emotional watching something. Um, normally that sort of thing doesn't quite get to me. You just think, oh, this is cool. But standing mm-hmm. on the pit wall, watching the car come by and hearing that crowd just chant Senna's name over and over again uh, was something really special. Yeah. Bruno, of course, is uh, Ayrton Senna's nephew. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I can reiterate everything that's been said about the place. It is a fascinating country in so many ways. My first Brazilian Grand Prix was actually on the old Hacarapagua course in Rio de Janeiro, where Nigel Mansell won on debut with Ferrari, helped enormously by the fact that Gerhard Berger and Senna took each other out at the first turn. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> um, but it is, uh, I've been to Senna's uh, grave in uh, the Marumbi Cemetery, which is also never without fresh flowers. I mean, this is what, next year it'll be 30 years since Ayrton Senna was killed at Imola. And uh, and yet his his spirit just goes on and on and on. I, I, you know, I don't want to be cynical about it, but I'm not sure there are many young race fans here in the United States who can go back 30 years to a driver they haven't seen since or never met in the first place and, and, and understand an impact like Senna had. Uh, all those days of mourning, um, the, the Formula One drivers, carrying his casket i mean it was it was just extraordinary and as for the racetrack john watson who uh, who raced the old circuit many times will tell you some stories about that track that will just curl your hair as he said it's a long long left hand downhill slightly cambered corner absolutely flat out so you can imagine what it's like when you got to you know the real turn one where you had to apply brakes because you were just flat from start finished around this first corner. And it's a great, great viewing track. I think our friend Sean Kelly has posted some pictures from, from his location. You look out over this, it's almost like a valley. Frankly, it was some very unstable land that was unsuitable to build houses on. 
So, hey, we'll build a racetrack, kind of like Coda. And uh, it just falls away from you. And you can see practically every corner and every inch of pavement. And that's really exciting. You'll notice that all the grandstands are up on the high ground where the pits and start finish are. Uh, and then you just, you know, rock it off into the distance toward the lakes. And it's, um, it's a magic place. I have a theory about athletes and sport generally as a way out, for lack of a better phrase. You know, if you go to Austria, every kid wants to be a skier. Um, you know, in the United States, it's arguable that any kid living in, in depressed economic conditions wants to play basketball, wants to go to the league, maybe football. Um, but in Brazil, if you're not a soccer player, you want to be a racing driver. And they have produced some really good ones, um, often from some of those very uh, lower economic strata that we talked about. The tracks, the, uh, the, the neighborhoods around the racetrack that are poor. Rubens Barrichello uh, came from there. Um, the uh, I'm thinking of um, Tony Kanan, who uh, won the Indianapolis mm -hmm. 500, had some great years in IndyCar. He's from around there. Uh, it's it's really a, a very exclusive fraternity, and it's a it's a way out for these kids. So they want to race, and I'm sure we're going to be seeing great Brazilian drivers for a long time to come. As far as races go, nothing will ever top 2008, as Johnny mentioned, when uh, when a Brazilian almost won the race and the world championship, and then Lewis Hamilton passed Timo Glock for the minimum place he needed to take it away. And I'll never forget the TV pictures of, um, and his name went out of my head, uh, the race winner from uh, Felipe Massa. Felipe, Felipe Massa. His father, Antonio, was in the Ferrari garage and we were all jumping around and, yeah. and and so happy. And I was on the air with David Hobbs and Steve Mesh saying, they don't know. They don't know that Lewis has just passed Timo Glock and uh. he sees the championship back. And all of a sudden, a Ferrari red shirt walks up and grabs Antonio and explains. And you see Antonio's face just fall, mm. just fall. Uh, meanwhile, Lewis's girlfriend at the time, Nicole Scherzinger, was dancing around, which was which was all fine, but it was such a contrast in emotions. And it tells you a lot about Formula One and how much people are invested in it. Um, and uh, Felipe handled it all beautifully. Gracious gentleman, I'm really sorry about the, the legal wrangling that's going on right now. Um, you know, Lewis certainly knows what it's like to, to be right on that razor's edge of winning or losing a championship, because he's done both. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a land of, of very strong emotions over lots of different things. And, um, and it's, it's really a cool event. Now, having said that, you'll notice on the pictures that there is construction going on. And I'm sure the fact that they have a, a long extension of their uh, Grand Prix contract means they've made commitments mm. to upgrade the track. When I first went there in, I guess it would have been uh, 1990, I mean, the paint was still drying on the walls and not all of the faucets worked and <laughs> on and on and on. And you parked in a dirt field on the infield of the racetrack. So it's come a long way since then. Desperately needs a repave. Um, and, and it needs some new buildings, new facilities. I'm sure the Brazilians have been made aware of that and are, are working to make it happen. And uh, I hope we have Brazil on the schedule for a long time to come. Yeah, so same here. It's, uh, it, it is actually going to remain on the schedule as well until at least 2030. They signed a new contract and announced it this weekend. Uh, mm -hmm. so it's a five-year contract extension that takes them up to and including 2030. So, uh, yeah, it's it's secure for now, which allows them to invest uh, and to try and improve facilities, which is really good to see. And that is something that the race organisers said they'll do. 
Uh, just briefly as well, um, Bob mentioned Felipe Massa there. Um, Felipe was uh, saying he wasn't or was potentially not going to show up at this year's race because of the ongoing legal challenge into the 2008 championship. And that all revolves around the Crashgate scandal in Singapore, where he is led to believe now that uh, Bernie Eccleston and the FIA were aware of what had happened before the end of the season, but didn't uh, allow anything to come out so that basically the championship got wrapped up and everything was uh, confirmed and couldn't be changed uh, because of the scandal that would have uh, produced. So Felipe feels that uh, he's been unfairly robbed and wants that race annulled. Of course, you know, we could get into this for ages about the knock-on impact of each race afterwards if you'd cancelled that race. Right. But um, but ignoring that, uh, one question that was put to Fernando Alonso, who won that race in Singapore, uh, the Crashgate race, uh, he was asked about Felipe's legal challenge this weekend and he shut it down instantly. He's like, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> no comment. I'm not. I, I have no interest. So uh, it's uh, it's a touchy subject, I think, for quite a few in the uh, in the paddock at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. For those who aren't aware of this, this, well, just to, uh, to finish that point, the scandal was when Alonso, who won the race, his teammate, Nelson Piquet Jr., crashed <laughs> at just the right moment to optimize Fernando's pit strategy to go on and win the race. And we found out later that Piquet was ordered to crash his car deliberately by the team to bring out a yellow flag. And it all went downhill from there. Off we go. Yeah. All right, guys, we, uh, coming up right after this, our special guest, Connor Daly, is going to join us. You listen to Speed City F1 back after a quick break. Connor in. All right, we're still live on YouTube, Facebook, and excuse me for one sec. Yep, go ahead, Bob. And just Connor's Connor, so he had to run. <laughs> hey, Connor, how are you, buddy? I'm good. What's up? Uh, we are in a break, but we're still live on YouTube and Facebook. Thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, no thanks, problem. Connor. Look no problem, Bob. With you. Yeah, it'll be good. <laughs> and I saw your reference to having enough bourbon to enjoy the race on uh, YouTube. <laughs> I mean, on um, Twitter. And uh, I thought, bourbon, Connor's my man. This is going to be fun in Vegas. <laughs> Bob, I have far too much bourbon and not enough stomach. So, <laughs> <clears throat> but if you enjoy that, I'm sure there are plenty. There'll be plenty of establishments in Vegas that can help us out. I would imagine there's got to be one or two. I mean, it's Nevada, gee whiz. Yeah. Yeah. Connor, you know everybody? You know, you know Chris Medlin? Yeah, I, I feel like I do. I have to know everyone, yes. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, Connor? You good? Good, man. Yeah. You? you uh, yeah, very good. Are you a Valtteri Bottas fan I'm seeing on the T-shirt? Uh, no, this is just a Sparco <laughs> shirt. But I I mean, shoot, that was my first. Uh, yeah, definitely no Valtteri from many, many years ago now. <laughs> he was the champion my first year of GP3. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, we, he took me out in Monza when I was running for my first podium. It was very sad. Oh, we're going to we're gonna have to revisit that pain, I reckon. Yeah, Still to this day, I see him, and he's like, hey, I'm like, I know. I th- <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for my Christmas card. I, it was very sad, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. He, he was probably just hung over from the day before he won the championship. After the next one. I mean, that's fair. I mean, the yeah, it was. After the next break. Yeah. He's your uh, old he, man. All right, we're coming back. He's, he's good, I think. Hey. 
Hi, this is Gene Haas, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back. We are about an hour and a half from the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, and we have a special guest who's joined us to help talk about what we're about to see and talk about Las Vegas. We have Connor Daly with us. Mr. Daly, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Good to be with you guys. Well, thank you very much for spending some time with us here on a Sunday morning. And I wanted to, I, I thought about bringing you on because I know you're going to be working with Bob Varsha and Jonathan Green out in Las Vegas. Uh, you looking forward to that? Yeah, honestly, I, I would, I'm much more comfortable going to work it than going for a first time, like as a spectator, because at least we know where we're going and we know what we're doing. Uh, new races always, um, they're always the first year, very interesting. I, I think on the IndyCar side as well, if we have a new street race, right? Like it's, we've done that a lot on the IndyCar side. And, uh, the first time, you know, there's always some questions. Where do we go? What do we do? Who do we talk to about this? And, um, and there's always things that happen always, no matter what that, yeah. uh, that, that haven't been thought about or, or you're like, oh, wow. Until we actually get there, uh, we're not exactly sure uh what we need to do in this situation whereas you know events that you the long beach street race right we've been going to that for 400 million years so everyone knows where to go for that one and we know where right. to go and what to do so it, it'll be fun though i'm excited to work with everyone and honestly it'll be just good to see all the formula one folks uh normally like at, i went to austin last year which is a lot of fun good to catch up with everyone uh and and just to see some of the drivers again it's usually like our one time a year to hang out so it'll be it'll be fun <laughs> Well, you're going to be on the PA with Bob and Jonathan, and uh, that's going to be a blast. Hey, hey, Connor, we got a couple of questions coming in off YouTube. Derek uh -oh. says, "Derek says, what was your your best race in the days of F3 and F2? Since you were mentioning some F3 over the break." Oh, uh, I mean, it had to have been uh, Valencia uh, in, in F3 2013, or. Uh, oddly enough, my best race personally, I think, is when uh, we got taken out the first race in Monza, penultimate round of the championship. We were fighting for the lead of the championship, and uh, we got wrecked in day one. And that means day two, you have to start where you finish in day from day one. Uh, that's the reverse grid race. So I had to start 27th, uh, and like I finished eighth and set fastest lap of the race, uh, but that was only two points. So it sadly took us out of the uh, – uh, but that I still think to this day is one of my best races in, in F3 or GP3 to that day. Cause like I was so mad because we basically went from leading the championship in the middle of lap one day, one of that primary race, the first race to then completely flipping life upside down. But it was still a lot of fun. I love racing at Monza. Monza was, was one of my favorite races in, in the GP three F three category. Uh, but it didn't have a lot of luck there. So, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Who took you out? <laughs> uh, that, that day, day one, Monza, it was Dino Zamparelli. He forgot to break at the first chicane, and he wiped out a bunch of us. I Carlos Sainz got wiped out too. It was like me, Carlos Sainz, a bunch of other people, and it was uh, it was it was a shame. <laughs> Never forget it. I seem to remember you uh, coming tumbling into the picture out of the tunnel down to the chicane at Monaco. Yes, um, that, was that was a classic. That was a classic 2012. Yeah, that was a tumultuous year for sure. There was 2013 was way more fun in the GP3 category. But yeah, it was I've had a lot of wild times in the European my European racing career. 
I was going to say that 2013 one. Uh, I think Dina got banned from the next race, didn't he? Or excluded that, from the next very race. Very sure. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> or just banned forever. I, I never yeah. saw him again, so I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, and as you mentioned, you, I mean, when people think back of how a career can, can like diverge a bit, I don't want to open up old wounds, but you mentioned Carlos Sainz there. I just yeah. he, was t- he finished 10th in the championship that year. He's a multiple Grand Prix winner racing for Ferrari <laughs> yeah. now. And, and you you finished third. He finished 10th in that championship. <laughs> Danny Kvyat went on to win that Monza race and win the title and have a spell with obviously Red Bull and, and Toro Rosso. It, it does show, doesn't it, that these moments sometimes completely out of a driver's hands can have a huge impact on where their career goes. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's and again, it's something that I look back on now almost like with 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 pride a little bit because of of how many great drivers were in that era and and Carlos being one of them uh, and to see him succeed like he did is is awesome. But but yeah, like that one race, like if you look at it, even it's it's crazy how drivers can go back. But you look at it like 100 feet by 100 feet. By the time I got to the second chicane in Monza, the right front tire had not exploded yet. We were leading the championship ahead of Danny Kivia, all those guys, by like several points. And Monza was a great track for us no matter what because we proved it the next day that in the race. We set fastest lap of the race. We had a great car with ART. And when that tire delaminated, my entire career delaminated for Europe because like uh. I had to win the championship that year to continue getting support from force India. Like I was a force India development driver. Then if I had won the championship, we were straight to GP two F two next year in their supported team straight to doing FP ones, like in, in the F one car, all that stuff, everything was kind of going the right way, but I had to win the championship. So that was it. And, uh, and, and it was, you know, definitely a shame to look back on now, but you're right. I mean, you could go from one corner, having your career go one direction to you know the next one uh you know it doesn't but th- but there are i mean you could name several drivers i'm sure who have who have been in similar sure. situations um you know i'm not saying woe is me i i had a great experience over there got to win races fight against a lot of great drivers um but uh but yeah it, it, it is definitely wild to uh you know to to look back on yeah for regular listeners that we obviously focus a fair bit with the f1 circus yeah. on logan Sargent and how he's doing but in in a sense, it's because of that very reason. When he comes close to a decent result and and then he makes a mistake or it looks like it might be on the cards and doesn't come his way, then it pushes him that little bit closer to maybe not getting a contract extension. If he just has that one good race or two good races that gets him an extra year and then something clicks and he has a big result somewhere else, like that momentum can so quickly change. And mm-hmm. he's not done anything differently or realistically his talent hasn't changed as you've shown. Right. Your talent yeah. can be worthy of going way further, but if circumstances hurt you, you're not going to get the chance. Oh. Yeah. I remember I had a chat with uh, Mario Dominguez in Mexico. We shared the commentary booth and I was asking him, you know, what's the scene like among young drivers here in Mexico? <clears throat> and he said, you know, we've got great young drivers, but there's no support for them. We don't have a lot of great racetracks for them to show their skills on. They can't travel abroad because they don't have the finances. And, um, and you know, so we don't get a chance to see some of them out there. And we did see some in the Formula 4 race in Mexico City. This kid Christian Cantu was, was just awesome. But I remember a million years ago, I think it was Fernando Alonso, won a championship, was doing his interviews about, you know, how, how he didn't have much support coming up in Spain. He said, and I'll never forget, he said, I raced carts with a dozen guys who can do everything that I'm doing if they had the opportunity and the support and the right equipment and so on. So it's just a, an example of the randomness of motorsport. And maybe it's true of, you know, sandlot baseball and, you know, municipal courts, 
tennis and basketball and all that kind of stuff. There are great talents that we never hear about or learn about. Yeah, I mean, I it, it's wild. You look at let's look at any other professional sport: baseball, basketball, football, soccer. How many hundreds of players get to make it to the top level, right? How many right, hundreds right. of players, even if you get the chance to be on the bench of those teams, right? You're still getting yeah. paid as a professional athlete. Well, there's mm-hmm. 20 F1 seats, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's, there's, there's there, back in the day, there was, there was 30 GP3 seats, right? And there was, there was 26 GP2 seats, you know, that that's a very, very small number. And, and if yep. you have to be the one person from GP3 to make it to GP2, to make it to F1, like that's a, that's a wild deal. So, you know, I, I feel very lucky. I got to make it to, you know, I got to drive a formula one car. I got to be a part of a formula one team. I got to, you know, race at the Indy 500, the Daytona five, like, I feel very lucky to have been part of, of, of that group. And uh, you know, and, and it's, it's been a, you know, it's still going obviously, but it's, it's uh it's been a fun, a fun life to uh you know, to have been a part of it, but it's, it's a, it's a ruthless sport it, without a doubt. One of the most ruthless sports to be a part of uh, mentally, physically, everything. Mm-hmm. Hey Connor, do you hear much from VJ Malia? <laughs> No, not anymore. <laughs> but man, interacting with that guy was was uh, one of the most interesting interactions I've ever had oh, in my life. That's for I'll sure. Bet. What a <laughs> Connor, I was going to ask you about the popularity of Formula One with Drive to Survive and IndyCar. I, I feel like there's. <laughs> it used to be you didn't even mention one sport or the other, one series or the other. But now it it seems like there's a little more friendliness between the series. Ah, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say that. I think I think still Formula One's coming for everyone's throats, but uh, as they should, right? I mean, shoot, it's 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 got a lot of power right now. But overall, I do like the the integration a little bit. Like you've got James Hinchcliffe working for Formula yeah. One, right? He's a full on IndyCar guy. He's in the Canadian mm-hmm. Motorsport Hall of Fame now, right? Like it it's there's there's a lot of great integration. I mean, shoot, even me give it, getting the chance to go to you know Las Vegas for Formula One to work with them. I mean, we have a lot of respect for for Formula One, and and I think uh, when you see guys like Fernando Alonso coming over to do the Indy 500, I think you see a lot of drivers that are certainly considering it. Uh, there are a lot more drivers in Formula One that that I think talk about doing that stuff than is than is publicly known about. Um, so there's a lot of respect both ways, and I think IndyCar grew a lot this year. I think we we took a big mm-hmm. step forward um you know in viewership and and just in general uh the competition is insane i i i think if if you're a if you're a general motorsport fan you can't ignore the fact that you've got guys uh you know that are that have come from formula one v8 supercars the best of the best from around the world some really really good guys um that are racing there so i i i, I as a racing fan I turn on the, t- I have a weekend off this weekend. What have I watched? Well, I've watched every single F1 session. I've watched every single NASCAR race that's been on because I like motorsport. I like racing. So I, I don't get mm-hmm. why there's not more of that. Um, you know, the, everyone seems to be like one or the other. Well, guess what? I've had a fantastic time watching the Xfinity championship finish up. I've had a fantastic mm-hmm. time watching the sprint race yesterday. Thought it was a great race. Um, and so, you know, I, I consume everything. Uh, and, and, and I know that you can do that. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's something that I I enjoy being a motor racing fan because I've got to drive all three of the cars now too, (laughs) like all the, all the top three levels of cars. So, you know, you can appreciate all of them. Uh, but I enjoy just, just, just taking it all in because I think right now in the world, 
motorsport is doing fantastic. And I, and I love to see that because that is my job. That's how I put right. food on my table. And, and that, and heck, I think that's positives all across the board for everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For that very same reason, I was watching the, uh, the WEC eight hours of Bahrain yeah. that was yeah. finishing I mean, off the shoot, season If you really yesterday. want to get into it, go yeah. there too. Yeah. Right. yeah. There was, there was so many cars in the hypercar class. It was awesome to yeah. watch, but great races meant- all across the board. It was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And the two Ferraris were trying to take each other out. It was it was it was a good way of filling the time before the sprint. But then it meant yeah. as I was tweeting through the sprint, I kept putting the Bahrain GP because I'd just been watching Bahrain. So yeah. I had well, someone tell me that I got it wrong. Well, that's a great definition of a true fan of motorsports. You'll watch any <laughs> kind of motorsport because of what it is in its totality. It's yep. not just colorful cars going round and round or turning left and right or going in a straight line at 330 miles an hour. That, you know, it's people stories, it's it's athletes, you know, good guys and bad guys and girls and on and on and on. And it's all there's there's so much going on. I don't know how many times I've tried to explain that to people. Well, Max Verstappen wins all the races. Yeah, but that's just the beginning of the story. <laughs> Why is he winning all the races? Who is yeah. he racing against? You know, what are they up against? It's, it's all part of the fun. Hey, Connor, we got to yeah. we got to take a break. But if you got 10 more minutes to stick with us through the top of the hour. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just hanging. Awesome. awesome. Weekend All right. off. He's got a weekend. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You're listening to Speed City F1. We'll be back after a quick break. All right. We're still live on YouTube, Facebook, and Andy P has a question, or actually just a comment for you, Connor. He says, "Thank you, Connor!" Exclamation. He says, "Love hearing, and that how cool it is to be a general motorsport fan. One doesn't have to suffer for the other." And <laughs> Yeah, right. Derek McCord says, yeah. "Hell of a full, hell of a full women's team won the last GTE race yesterday, Wick, and there's a lot more out that's there." Right. That's right. Yeah, the Iron, yeah, Dames, Iron Dames. Yeah, yeah, yeah I saw that. I, I just that had Catherine just... Leg on my podcast as well. She had talked about a lot of the the women that are that yeah. are kicking some butts right now all across the world. Hey, let's mention your cool podcast when we go Iron back Dames. on Sirius too. They, yeah, they have. You know, it's it's not the same three women everywhere. You know, they've had Catherine move in and. Uh, mm. um, Norwegian chick who drives uh, uh, anyway they have they've had a, a roster of female drivers who have uh, who've been in the program and they do well we think of Christina Nielsen from Denmark that's who I'm thinking yeah, she's yeah, good. yeah yeah can we have you in the booth too I'm getting old I'm forgetting names. I need you Chris what an awesome team name too the Iron Dames like I'm yeah. yes. here for that team that's <laughs> right yeah go get them girls yeah but he even the uh, what the F1 Academy stuff looked like in Austin was damn cool because you suddenly saw a group of actually like given track time talented yeah. drivers that were suddenly being like, okay, we're not also going to say next you have to go and win F2. Like, give right. them that little bit of time to build up that that skill set, and they might end up in sports cars or whatever. But sure, they're further up the ladder. They've got options, which is good because that's obviously what's been lacking, isn't it? Well, that's what we all love about all rounders, as they call them all the time. You know, guys, you know, Mario Andretti and Dan Gurney and AJ Boyd, all those guys would drive different cars. Nowadays, that's what I do. Contracts won't let you do that. But um, yeah, it's great to see people, you know, go from series to series. And it doesn't have to be Formula One. I mean, if you're you're like Connor and you'll drive anything and drive it well. Yep. (laughs) Where's the seat? Where's the seat? Give me a seat, the steering wheel. I got my helmet. Let's go. And speaking of all that, that's where Jonathan is. Jonathan's going to be with you guys in the booth. Connor and Jonathan's out yeah. of Dakota doing F3, F4, Trans Am, and SVRA. I can say all that. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to get it. Hi, this is Max Steppen, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio. 
Speed City. To the grid, F1 aficionados, fellow F1 fans, as we race through over 30 countries from the historic tracks in Italy to the speedy straits of Japan, F1 is as global as it gets. Ever wish you could chat with locals during the Spanish Grand Prix or truly grasp the team radio in Italy's Monza? Dive into the vibrant multilingual world of Formula One with Rosetta Stone, your co-driver in language learning. With Rosetta Stone, you're not just on the track, you're in the race. No pit stops, no renewals, move from rookie phrases to pole position conversations, immersing deeper in every race. Rosetta Stone offers a pit lane of 25 languages, guiding you at your pace. And once you're on the grid, it's a lifetime ticket, no flags attached. Gear up for the next Grand Prix circuit. For a limited lap, get a 50% off Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership. Full throttle your language journey at rosettastone.com SXM. That's rosettastone.com SXM. All right, we're about an hour and a few minutes away from the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, and our guest, Connor Daly, is with us. And hey, John? Yes? Does Rosetta Stone offer <laughs> racing language? I wasn't aware of that. I mean, do they have push and loose and undercut and overcut <laughs> and degradation? Bob, and, uh, yeah. are you volunteering to teach that course for Rosetta Stone? <laughs> <laughs> I have enough Net- trouble. Netflix is offering own. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On the next season. <laughs> Uh, Connor, we're really excited to have you. And what do you think of when you think of the Sao Paulo Grand Prix? Well, honestly, it's I find it to be one of the most entertaining tracks, I think. Uh, I mean, yesterday's sprint race. Now, look, I, I think there's been a lot of not great racing in Formula One this year. Uh, but I thought yesterday was great. Uh, I thought there was a lot of great racing, uh, a lot of great respect as well uh, for, for, for each driver. Um, so I, I think that bodes well uh for for today for the for the for the main race um but uh it's it's one track that for sure i i wish i could have driven on uh i i've, I've got to dr- i've got to drive on a ton of racetracks i feel very lucky to have have driven all across the world um but uh but yeah that that's a track that for sure uh you know you know the fans love being there you know the passion for motorsport in brazil uh and and i and i think yesterday's sprint race was great I mean, maybe not for the win, but for everything else was great. <laughs> well, that's the main point, isn't it? When people yeah. focus on these, they go, oh, well, Max won again. It's like, yeah, but there was no. I didn't see Max once. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, and, um, and, and Lando kept them honest for a spell enough that you were like, oh, maybe. But yeah, everything yeah, behind yeah. Was, was really good. And as you say, what amazed me, uh, especially seeing as they couldn't keep it clean in the sprint shootout, was that in the race, the amount of time you saw drivers high speed through turn three inches apart, in a race where they weren't actually always fighting for points either. Uh, and we right. didn't have a single yellow flag incident in that whole race. Yep. No contact, yeah. no damage. Yeah, uh, remarkable. What's and awesome here's another too. point. Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Well, I said at the beginning of the show that I was going to complain about the driver's complaints about <laughs> the tires. And we heard Max Verstappen afterwards say, there wasn't one single lap where I was pushing flat out. And like most frames, right. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> You weren't pushing. Well, this is this is a complete farce. This is a disaster. But now that I think about it, everybody had the same issues. And what we got, as we've been talking about, was a great race. So does it really matter if Max Verstappen was going flat out or not? I mean, what's the difference between 140 miles an hour and 150 miles an hour? I don't know. But if it takes the kind of conditions we had yesterday to produce a great race, rough racetrack, questionable tire strategies, on and on and on, Maybe that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I, I I think 
what we saw with with Daniel Ricardo just battling, 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 couldn't get it done. Then he gets passed by Piastri, right? But right. his tires weren't done after that, so he kept going. Like there was still yep. a race to be had there. Sometimes you see a, a bit of a battle, and then after two or three laps pushing hard, well, the tires have gone off. Now you're in the dirty air of the car in front of you. You can't really use them anymore. But that didn't really seem to be the case. You, you could yeah. still push, which which for us, I mean, me personally as a driver, if you're absolutely, you know, putting your life on the line, trying to get some guy in front of you, and you're hating the fact that you can't quite get it done, like, you know, the DRS is, you know, it's a, it's 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 awesome and it's a curse as well because right, you know, exactly. Daniel makes this move and then he just gets absolutely driven by down the next straight and you're like, oh my gosh, he's worked his butt off to try to get it get in front of him, but it, it's you know the, the 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 tire did seem to hold up, which is great. Like if you if you can just keep charging and keep going after the person in front of you yeah. and you got a little bit more pace than them, uh, you know that that's that's good. So I, I hope we see more of that. I would love to see. You know, Yuki mm-hmm. Tsunoda throwing it at Lewis Hamilton again. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want to see that. Like, 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 feed that to me because I'm ready for it on a Sunday. That's yeah. one of the areas that I think F1 has actually really improved in recent years with these cars as well, which they did so much work on. But since last year, it's that, okay, the tires probably aren't amazing uh, or even close to, but they've made slight improvements with the tires and big improvements with how much you're affected being behind another car with the ground effect that we now have. And mm. it just means that those tires can hold on. And as you say, you can, you can have a go. You might have to back off for a lap or two, but you're not, your race isn't done. And it was in the previous era, particularly everything had mm. to be done immediately, or you would just never, I, I keep yeah. coming back to the clash between Verstappen and Hamilton at Silverstone uh, when Verstappen had a huge shunt. And it's because, Hamilton knew if he didn't get past at that corner on the first lap, he probably wasn't getting past him at any point, even if he was a mm, bit quicker. Right. Whereas today that doesn't happen. They will keep going at it for the whole race. So I think that has been a, a step yeah. forward. It's not, it's not perfect, but it's, it's been an improvement. I, I also right. like where the DRS zone is tuned, right? Like you get to turn one and you still got drivers throwing it down the outside, Daniel Ricardo kind of holding the outside. And if you can, and the respect actually of going too wide there. Uh, you know, you get the inside for the next part of that first first chicane, but then also you want the DRS down that next straight. And also people are struggling, as you mentioned, through turn three. I mean, people fighting the car, you know, yeah. uh, media that 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 I would consider a medium speed corner for a Formula One car. Yeah. And qualifying it's flat. Right. But like in the race, different situations, you know, trying to fight from from my personal experience, sometimes in IndyCar as well. You know, we're, when, when you're trying to fight the car through that medium speed corner, when you're slightly offline, that is a battle. But if you happen to get on the throttle earlier than the guy that you're fighting and you carry that speed through that corner and you happen mm-hmm. to get it flat, I mean, that, that, that's, that's the whole joy of racing. You know, who, who right. is able to get flat first and who is able to carry the speed? And if you happen to get that moment and you have to lift, well, guess what? Now you're a victim of whoever's behind you chasing you. So it's, right. it's the track creates a great, a great, uh, you know, just, just environment for racing, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's hey, good stuff. Hey, Connor, there's a question for you uh, coming in off YouTube. It's uh, uh, TW says, what track does Connor have the worst luck or dislike the most? <laughs> uh, I mean, are we talking in America or Europe? Because I can go with, I can go with all kinds. I think Monza is my worst luck track in the entire world when it comes to world <laughs> motorsport. Uh, but it's also been my most fun track to race at. Uh, and then I, I would say uh, in, in America, oh man, uh, 
Long Beach, I started out winning uh, in 2011. I won the Indy Lights race there, but then every race there, for some reason, there's always been an issue for me in my life. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I've had a lot of great times. I like to focus on the great things. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, Connor, uh, we are out of time for this segment and we cannot thank you enough. I can't uh, wait to see you in Vegas. I know you're going to have fun with the boys on the PA out there, but thank you for joining us this morning. Yeah, it's going to be great to work with Bob. I, after my dad worked with him for many years, it's kind of <laughs> wild to see that now I get to. So I, I feel very lucky. <laughs> Looking forward to it, buddy. All right. Well, thanks, Connor. Thanks, everybody. We are going to be back after this break for a second hour of our pre-race show to get you ready for the Sao Paulo Grand Prix right after this. of Connor Daly fans on the line. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the four to zero people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right, see you guys later. Thanks, Connor. Thanks, guys. It's the Thanks, horseshoe. <laughs> All right. Where did you say you're staying in Vegas, John? I'm in the Flamingo. Flamingo. I didn't know they hadn't dynamited that one yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, my I brother. My brother said he stayed there. Heard of. He he had to move rooms. He said the first room was not acceptable. I was like, oh great. I've been in Vegas hotels where that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> What's uh, that, Chris? The horseshoe. Uh, what? Uh, no, that was called then. No. What? Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know if it's the media hotel or not. Uh, the organizer put us in there, so I assume it is, but. Uh, there's, there's another one where the media center is, but I, w I won't name it because then people will try ah. it in. But uh, yeah, yeah the, no. uh, it's on the outside of the track, so it's going to be quite a fun logistics to. Oh no, we're inside. In and out the paddock. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's going to be nightmarish. Plus, mm. they have to open and close the track three times a day. Yeah, yeah. but then Monaco does that all the time. They'll get used to it. Yeah. Well, it's here they're actually, but they're moving 380 concrete blocks. To open up the Las Vegas Strip for the for the evening rush, I guess mm. three hundred and eighty of those two thousand pound jersey barriers, plus yeah. fencing and cabling, and on and on and on. I don't know how they're going to yeah. do all that. That's crazy. Well, everybody seems optimistic they're going to be able to do it, and they have crews training right now mm. to do it. It's going to be it'll probably pretty impressive to watch. It'll look like the Normandy invasion or something. Somebody commented uh, earlier. Oh, somebody Derek said he's a uh, follow a Vegas blogger saying there's a real big revolt from the locals. Yeah, I've been seeing some of that. All right, here we go. Uh, nobody does anything stupid. This is David Hobbs, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. CrowdStrike presents Driven in 60 as the official cybersecurity partner of the Mercedes-AMG Patronus Formula One team. CrowdStrike protects against cyber threats so the team can focus on what matters, their next win. A revolutionary cloud-native unified CrowdStrike Falcon platform harnesses the speed and power of the cloud to protect and defend organizations of all sizes against increasingly complex threats, stopping breaches before they happen. Because on and off the track, the stakes couldn't be higher. A split second can make the difference between victory and defeat. When every second counts, protection shouldn't slow you down. It should fuel your momentum. CrowdStrike, protection at every turn. To learn more and to try CrowdStrike Falcon free today, 
Visit CrowdStrike.com slash XM. All right, guys, we're now within an hour of the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, and we've got some of the uh, the driver clips that I want to get into this morning because there are some interesting ones, and I think we got to start at the top. If Casey, you are ready, I want to start with Max Verstappen and see what Mr. Verstappen has to say, and this was right after the sprint race yesterday. Yeah, I think uh, the the start was definitely key. Um, keep, keeps you a bit out of trouble in the first uh, two three laps, and after that, it was all about just yeah, tire management. You know, trying to keep keep the tires under control. Really, I mean, there's always a lot of dag around here. The tires are sliding around a lot, um, and yeah, it was for a long time very close. I think between myself and and Lando, we're doing quite similar lap times for a long period of the race. And um, after that, the last few laps, I think I felt a little bit more comfortable, but. I think you know everyone will learn a lot from today, and uh, they will apply it to tomorrow. But uh, yeah, very happy compared to last year. This is of course miles better for us, and um, already looking forward to tomorrow. A few have mentioned that uh, it could be cooler tomorrow, which could obviously help the tyres. Is there more to come from you? If that's the case, is there more pace in hand? Uh, it's always difficult to tell. You know, also tomorrow with the high fu higher fuel loads from the start, uh, yeah, cooler track time. Um, I still think. It's going to be a lot of tire management involved, but uh, let's see. Maybe for other teams it works better. I have no clue from, from my side. Hmm. Uh, Chris, what about the cooler weather that they were talking about? I haven't, I haven't had a chance to look this morning. Have you looked? Yeah, don't worry. I'm, I've got the radar up. I was just looking in the break as well. <laughs> I've got the, the uh, image of the grid on. So it's largely sunny, but there's a few more clouds around. It looks a bit breezy, actually. But yeah, it's only, uh, sorry to go into UK numbers. I'll try and get my, my quick converter up. Um, <laughs> but it, it's only 20 degrees. So in terms of Fahrenheit, we're looking at what, 68 mm, at the high yeah. 60s. Uh, whereas yesterday we were up at, in the mid 80s. So it's uh, it's definitely cooler, much cooler. And weirdly, uh, I know the question there was, you know, will, will that help you? But that will hurt Red Bull compared to its rivals. Because one of the biggest strengths of that Red Bull is looking after its tyres, not really switching them on too much, not overheating them, uh, and having an advantage at the end of stints. So in the hot conditions, that's where that advantage was going to play out a bit more. And I think we saw that with uh, Verstappen going away from Norris in the final few laps. Whereas when it's a little bit cooler, you actually want to switch those tyres on earlier uh, you know, at the start of the race, because you don't have the natural heat from the track temperature and the air temperature, you need to work, use the car to work the heat into the rubber to get the grip from it. So if anything, that's where Red Bull might struggle in the opening lap or two. Uh, and then yeah. others won't have the same concern later in the in the stint uh, that they might overheat their tyres. So it will change things, I think, and potentially dramatically. Uh, for who? I mean, yeah, that was Mercedes. my next question. <laughs> Mercedes really struggled. Um, yeah, I'm just reading your yeah. notes. Um, yeah, Mercedes really struggled <laughs> yesterday, and I think that will that will actually play into their hands. Uh, that's there is a fair amount you can change in terms of tire pressures, wing angles. There's certain engine settings you can change. So even though they're in Park Ferme, uh, Tom McCulloch from Aston Martin was explaining this morning there is a lot you can do, but uh, the the base setup is locked in since the end of FP1 and. In FP1, it was cooler than yesterday was, but it was warmer than today. So I think it should actually move things around from anything we've seen this weekend. Uh, but you're probably happier if you're Mercedes because you can push harder and attack more. And we saw good pace early on from them yesterday as well. Uh, if you think of the way George Russell and Lewis Hamilton went forward in the first few laps and then went backwards quickly, uh, they'll mm -hmm. hope that they can still do the forward part and then they don't get hurt so much uh, with their tyres dropping off that sends them backwards. So yeah, I think, I think we're going to get 
a bit of a different picture than we got in the sprint, which is exciting because it's a bit of a shame when the sprint tells you everything you are going to see the next day uh, ahead of time. Yeah. Let's talk about that start a little bit. Uh, I, along with probably a lot of fans, was a little frustrated that Lando Norris didn't take more advantage. I mean, I thought he could have done a Michael Schumacher and just got right across in front of Max Verstappen's bow. Um, and it, things played out as we all know. But afterwards, his, uh, his team principal, Andrea Stella, was talking about that start. He said, you know, Max would have gotten Lando anyway. Sure, Lando would have led a few laps and that would have been that especially when the, uh, when the tires began to go away. But he said something else about uh, analyzing the start that I thought was fascinating. In pure Formula One, he said, we've got to look at the clutch slippage right at the start and at the gear change intervals. And I thought, we are talking about microseconds here. You know, how long does it take the clutch to engage? And how long does it take? I can't even clap fast enough to, uh, to, to match um, you know, the gear changes. Uh, Connor Daly's dad, Derek, when we were doing Formula One said, Formula One cars change gears in much less time than it takes you to blink your eyes. So, you know, and, and Stella is saying, okay, we got to look at this. Maybe there's too much time, too much clutch slippage, too slow on the shifts, um, which I thought was, was just fascinating stuff. Yeah, Lando himself thinks that maybe the reason that he lost out, because anyone who watched the start or, or didn't see it, maybe I should explain better. If you're on board with Max Verstappen off the line, you'd have seen that Norris actually got away better. He, he pulls away off the line better initially and is accelerating away from Verstappen. And then basically just as they're accelerating beyond the 100 mile an hour mark, really, and, and they're into what you call the second phase, and you've probably stopped uh, looking after the clutch and you've dumped it completely and you are just on full throttle or you're on throttle, uh, Verstappen just cruised back up and past him. And it seemed quite strange. You don't normally see that. Normally the car with a better launch keeps moving away. And Norris thinks that he was too conservative himself on that second phase, trying not to spin the wheels because as uh, John was mentioning much earlier, we had the drivers talking about how much they were managing tyres yesterday. Uh, and Max said from the outlap to the grid, he was looking after his tyres. And then right. certainly on the formation lap to start the race, he was not pushing them too hard because they knew they were going to be in trouble later in the race if they weren't careful. So Norris was probably thinking, I can't spin the wheels, I'll overheat them and I won't get that grip back or I'll be in trouble. And by doing so, he thinks he was too conservative. But it's probably better if he explains that himself, isn't it? Let's hear from Lando now. Uh, I felt good. I mean, of course, my start was not ideal. The launch was good, but the drive out was, uh, was not so good. So... I lost out. Um, I lost out as well to George, but the pace was good from then on, you know, and I, I thought that I could maybe get up to Max. I caught him up a little bit, but uh, just didn't quite have the same pace as, as what he had. So I don't think we were expecting to have the pace, but for a little portion in the middle, I was like, mm, maybe I can maybe I can get there. But uh, then he just went for it and, uh, and he, he quite easily gapped me at the end. So, um, yeah, it was good. I mean, especially when you look behind at where all the other cars were and our pace comparing to everyone else, we were very, very strong. But, um, uh, yeah, missing that little bit to, to get to the front. If he had started ahead of him, could you have kept him behind or was it... I don't think actually? so. I think, uh, you know, I feel like when Max is... He's very good at managing tyres and that's always been a good strength for him. But when he wants to um, push, he can easily get that little bit more out of the car than, than I think what we can. Um, I mean, never say never. Uh, it's always difficult to, to, to guess at these scenarios, but um, unlikely. What about tomorrow? A little bit of six is on, on the grid. Yeah, six. But after today, I think it was promising. Mm. Uh, you know, we've not done any long running until today, so it was a first good uh, 
bit of knowledge of what we can expect for tomorrow, which is a good sign, it's positive. Um, I felt comfortable, but yeah, having to overtake a few more cars is, um, makes it quite a different story for tomorrow. So uh, hopefully we can do the same. All right, thank you. I heard an interesting comment from Alice Powell. I think she maybe was Checker Flag podcast. And she talked about race starts. And she goes, it is a very, very different skill from everything else you do in the entire race. And I thought, oh, that's a really good point because you could be the best at, at, at everything else that, that it takes to become a great race driver, but not so great at, at that particular skill of managing that clutch and uh, so, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. It was something yeah, Liam Lawson mentioned, wasn't it, as well, when he yeah. did his first few races. He said each start was really poor and he lost positions each time. And you kind of think when you see you know, halfway around the opening lap a, a, a rookie who's dropped back a little bit, oh, they've been beaten up slightly or they've been a bit too cautious. And in reality, it's no, just not being able to nail that clutch feeling and getting off the line. Uh, actually means that you lose two or three places by turn one and, and nothing else you do is any wrong. Like your racecraft is great, but just that launch is mm -hmm. costing you. Yeah. In fact, look at, I talked earlier about the, you know, how the, the teams break down the launch into, you know, the tiniest fragments. Uh, John, you said on yesterday's show that you looked at reaction times and that Max actually had a quicker reaction than Lando, but Lando got away better. And then in the next phase of the launch, uh, Max was able to get underneath him into turn one and into the Senate S's and away they went. So it's it's a very complex and interesting process, just getting these cars in motion. Yeah, it's really I would true. Slightly, I'd slightly dispute Lando's point that he wouldn't have been able to keep Max behind. I'm not saying it would have been easy by any stretch, but by being the car in front and making the car behind push that bit harder take a bit more out of their tyres. The reason Norris dropped off in the final stages towards uh, Max was because once he passed George, Russell, because mm -hmm. he said George called him sleeping on the opening lap, he had to use his tyres a bit more to get past George. He then had to use them a bit more again to try and close the gap to Max. And then once he got fairly close, Max hadn't had to do any of that because he'd been leading and he could just right. pull away again. Now, if Max had been behind Lando, he's the one who has to use his tyres a bit more. He's the one who has to push a bit harder. Lando doesn't necessarily have to. And either mm -hmm. it means that Max isn't able to get back, get past so easily because he can't just use that pace without penalty, or later in the race, Lando can come back at him. So I don't think it's that simple. And I think I think Perez is the one that showed it by getting through the third and then being nowhere near the top two. Right. Couldn't get close to them. And yeah, when the leader is out in clear air, it's much easier to manage your tires than when you're in that turbulent air behind another car and you're having to work your tires harder. So I agree with you. I think maybe... Um, Lando's, you know, selling himself short when he thinks he couldn't keep Max behind him. And, and going back to your point, Bob, I actually have done a decent amount of drag racing back in my youth. And the, the stoplight to stoplight. Well, actually <laughs> at, at the little country <laughs> race track, last week. Yeah. <laughs> here in Texas. But, but the, <clears throat> what they, in drag racing, they talk about the 60 foot time and the reaction time right. and all that. And that the, the, your 60 foot time can affect your trap speed at the end can affect your elapsed time so dramatically that first little 60 foot. And so there, there's all that science, like you were saying earlier, how Max had yeah. a, a, a very, uh, a much stronger reaction time than Lando, but Lando had a, a quicker zero to 200 kilometers. It's a really interesting science of the way they the yeah, start of the is. race, but all right, guys, uh, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Checo and some of the other drivers immediately after this break. You listen to Speed City F1, back after these.
All right, we're still live on YouTube, Facebook, and there's some good comments here. Uh, Andy P says, that was cool. Connor has a great perspective. I will admit on YouTube rather than live uh, radio that Connor's my favorite race driver. I've been, I think during the pandemic, I just started following him and, and listening to his, his commentary during while he was racing and it made me think, God, I wish we could do that during live racing, but Connor's great. I love to get him on. Connor was, yeah. Connor John's was, fanboying. what's that? Said John's fanboying. Yeah, I am right. fanboy. Well, John does this every time. Every guest we have on the show is John's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Connor, we love about John. Connor was my very first guest when we started Speed City back in 2012. So there, that's probably yeah. part of the reason. Uh, let's you know, see. He's done a lot of it on his own. Yeah, he's, no he's doubt. But it is head against the against the harsh realities of racing on a number of occasions, and he just keeps coming back and. It looks like his career is in an upturn, and that's great to see. Yeah. Connor used to come on the show and beg for sponsors live on the radio. It was great. <laughs> uh, let's it is see. hard work for these guys, isn't it? It's because, as he sure. said, it, you know, one race result that has nothing to do with you can make or break your career as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah he's, he's one I've always been a big fan of as well. Just, just the way he's grafted. Uh, he's worked so hard to try and uh, keep yeah. it moving. And, yeah, I hope he... Uh, <laughs> Hope he has a fun time in Vegas with everyone, but uh, also I hope that next year's uh, a lucrative one for him as well. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, Chris, David Lawrence says, I must say it's actually refreshing to see Chris for a change, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll wear off quickly. No one needs to see my face too, too long. But, uh, and I'm sorry for the plain background, but because I don't tend to do it often uh, live like this, my uh the i moved home in august and have not got the office set up yet but we'll get some <laughs> stuff on the walls i've got kind of half half of the trophies in the caps there but there's loads of tat everywhere that i should try and get in the in the back uh, right, here we go apologize. Don't apologize. hi guys this is Craig Astley, and you're listening to speed city Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. On November 14th, Netflix's first live sporting event, the Netflix Cup, brings together star athletes from Formula One, Drive to Survive, and Full Swing to team up and tee off in Las Vegas for a historic golf tournament, the likes of which you've never seen before. Golfers Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler, Max Homa, and Colin Morkawa will team up with drivers Carlos Sainz, Lando Norris, Pierre Gasly, and Alex Albon to battle it out on the fairways and greens of the Wynn Las Vegas golf course. These teams will have to swing to survive across nine holes of tournament play with a few unique twists and turns. And at the end, only one team will claim the top step of the podium and take home the Netflix Cup. It's all happening at the start of the Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix week in Las Vegas. Tune into the Netflix Cup live November 14th at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 Eastern, only on Netflix. I can follow that because I am hopefully going to be there following those guys around for nice. our, both our midweek show and weekend shows. Uh, I've already been in touch, just kind of begging for a bit of access because it's going to be so much fun. Mainly, I need to see if you think I deal with these Formula One drivers regularly. Uh, apart from this weekend, I'm normally shoving a microphone in their face and asking them what's going to happen. And you're kind of in awe of their skills. You know, they're brilliant racing drivers. It's going to be so good to watch them do something that they're not watch quite them. so good at. Um, <laughs> yeah, digging so. up divots and dropping it in the lake. Tell me, uh, Chris, who 
in your view, and maybe just of the four drivers we just heard, who who is the best golfer, or who's the from best what, one among all the golfers? From what I've seen of, of those guys, so actually Lance Stroll's pretty handy, but he's not taking part in that one, and he said he's not played uh-huh. too much recently. Um, and it's I'd say it's Carlos Sainz. It's it's between Carlos and Lando at times, but Lando got quite obsessive with it, and then was actually doing himself a bit of mischief and some damage with his. He, he can kind of hyperextend his ribs, like open, like he's got a great. I'm trying to show this on on camera for people that's watching on YouTube. Um, he can really bend so far back in his backswing and so far forward in his follow through that he can really? actually slightly tweak things in his ribs, can't like parts of his ligaments. I think so. He oh. uh, he had to ease it back a little bit. There was a point in 2021, I think, he was hurting himself by playing too much golf, and before getting in the car, his physio's job was just to ease everything that he'd hurt playing golf rather than anything to do with training for an F1 race. So uh, he did have to kind of throttle back on that front, but also just with the schedules, they don't actually get to play as regularly anymore. Uh, I think they kind of got a bit more time during the lockdown years and things. So uh, yeah, Carlos and Lando were fairly closely matched, but I'd have Carlos ahead. And I saw him play uh, some nice golf actually ahead of the Ryder Cup. He played uh, in the kind of pro-am there where they played a few holes on the Ryder Cup course in uh, in Rome. And he was up Mm -hmm. against Novak Djokovic. And I remember there, his tee shot wasn't great, but his second shot, when it was lined with with fans, <laughs> he had a tiny channel to hit this ball out of the rough in. And I was thinking, I'd be terrified as a pro doing that. Oh, absolutely. As anyone else. And he nailed it onto yeah. the green. I was like, fair play. So, uh, yeah, he's he's probably the best. The one I haven't seen Pierre play too much, but I've heard he's, he's working at it. Uh, <laughs> Alex is the funny one, though, because his girlfriend is a very good professional golfer. And he says ah. he should be much better than he is. So, uh, yeah, I think... <laughs> I think he he was planning at one point to spend a lot of January in the US. Uh, he'd been kind of aiming to to do some racing actually over there, and it doesn't look like it will happen now. Uh, but part of that was meant he could have done a training camp and played a lot of golf with Lily, his girlfriend. So he thought he'd have been better for next year's tournament if he got to got invited back. But yeah, I'd say I'd say Carlos of those is the uh, the long answer to your very simple question. <laughs> I I, uh, I just think it's cool that this is Netflix's first live sporting event, and you know that. That the, with the television landscape the way it is, that's probably going to be uh, the first of many with Netflix. Tell yeah, you what, Chris, they... you and you and I should call that tournament. We should, shouldn't we? I'd love. I'm kind of hoping. I'm hoping yeah. that with the access I'll get, at the very least, what I should be able to do is, you know, when you get the on the course golf reporters and they have to lower their voice and they're saying <laughs> on the uh, right. just on, it's got a it's left to right break and it's a <laughs> ten foot putt. I'm going to do all of that, uh, but I'm going to do it for the drivers. I'll be looking at Norris and uh, oh, that's terrible. Uh, that sort of thing. That's <laughs> that, my that, end. <laughs> that, that's my point. Is that golf? Typical golf commentators never say anything bad about anybody. Oh. Oh, I don't think that was the shot he wanted. Since Johnny Miller left, Miller was the first guy who would say, "Oh man, he choked." So you got to get out there and you know tell it like it is. Let's not have any of this. Oh, slightly right, three fairways away. We'll have a we'll have a word with the SXM uh, execs and just check if I'm allowed yes, to swear. Right. So if I can swear, then uh, I'll be really brutal with them. And call what- Steve Wynn. Say we demand it. Welcome back to uh, F1 Golf Talk this morning. And <laughs> all right, we're, we're going to move on because we're going to hear from uh, from Checo Perez. Let's hear from him now after the sprint race yesterday. Well, considering how bad our start was, I don't think there was more, more in it, unfortunately. Um, losing those two positions to the to the Mercedes meant that we, we had to push really hard on the tires to, to get them back. And unfortunately, the, that just uh, killed our race killed the race too and uh, yeah that meant that we had very 
very painful uh, afternoon. How difficult were those tyres to manage? A few drivers had mentioned that it went off after turn after the lap one. How was it for you? Yeah, it was really difficult to manage them uh, today. So um, I do expect a, quite a hard race tomorrow. So it will be an interesting one. As you mentioned, a hard race tomorrow. You start from further down the grid. How are you feeling about it? Are you confident, especially with the pace you showed today? Yeah, I think uh, there is a lot of learning we will take from today and uh, see what we are able to do tomorrow. Yeah, Chris, what did you think about Checo's tires comments? Yeah, there was. I think he went. He elaborated a bit more in the post-race press or yeah, post-sprint press conference where he did say that by having to do all that overtaking in that early phase, it just took so much out of his tires that he knew he he had nothing. By then, he was already quite a few seconds behind Norris and behind Verstappen, and all that could happen is it could go wrong from there. It, you know, his tires could get worse and worse and drop off, and he could end up slipping a long way back. So he had to measure his pace. That's why there was such a big gap. I think it was. Uh, over 10 seconds to what's well, 12 seconds I think to max and, and nearly 10 seconds to Lando uh, so he was very much of the opinion that yeah if you if you push your tires too hard early on you're going to pay the price later and it creates huge gaps and that's what I was saying about Lando earlier that when he thought oh, I wouldn't have been able to keep max behind make him work his tires a bit harder and you never know and it it can have a really big impact a couple of laps even one lap of having to push a bit too hard to overtake someone that could be the difference of three, four seconds later in the stint. So uh, that's why that race was actually quite fascinating. But also I'm intrigued by how close McLaren's performance was to Red Bull in that stint, that final stint. Uh, mm -hmm. Because we're essentially going to see that play out today in these cooler conditions. Uh, we're going to see a little bit more of, actually, can anyone put any pressure on? And if Leclerc can get off the line and, and beat Max into turn one, we've got a heck of a race on our hands because Verstappen is going to have to use his tyres a bit more to get back past Leclerc. Yeah, good point. Good point. Hey, Bob, um, good timing. Actually, have you got your starting grid as you want to run down right now? I do. Absolutely. Let's, let's, let's do that because that, you know, we, we, you know, we, since we have qualifying on Fridays now, we need a little refresher. Mm -hmm. Comes in multiple volumes available on Amazon. <laughs> so check it out. All right, here we go. On row one, our pole sitter, surprise, surprise, Max Verstappen and Red Bull. His career high, 11th of the season, 8th on the all-time list. The Flying Dutchman is riding a record streak, 14 straight Grand Prix wins when starting on pole, and that's uh, pretty impressive. He won yesterday's sprint, of course, and that was his fourth in the six races, uh, yesterday being the last one of the season. Starting P2, Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari, fifth in the sprint at the end, the first front-row start for the Monegasque at Interlagos, and sixth of the year, five of which, surprisingly, have come on sprint race weekends for some reason. Row two, Lance Stroll, P3 for Aston Martin after six straight Q1 eliminations. The Canadian has his first top three start since taking pole at Turkey in 2020. And he outqualified teammate Fernando Alonso for only the third time this season. Of course, all of this was due in no small part to the fact that we had a tsunami, not named Yuki, at the, uh, at the end of qualifying. P4, the aforementioned Fernando Alonso in the second Aston Martin. His best start in Brazil in a decade. Today marks the first time Aston Martin, under any ownership, going back to the 1950s, has had two cars in the top four to Grand Prix. Row three, P5, Lewis Hamilton in the first of the Mercedes. A three-time winner at Interlagos, but today marks the first time Mercedes hasn't placed a car in the top three on the grid since 2012, when the drivers were Nico Rosberg and Michael Schumacher. P6, Lando Norris in the McLaren, moves up a row due to a penalty to George Russell. 
pole sitter for yesterday's sprint, where he finished second to Verstappen. Row four, P7 is uh, Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari, who hasn't outqualified his teammate Leclerc since winning from pole in Singapore five races ago, and he was a distant eighth in the sprint. P8, George Russell in the Mercedes dropped two grid spots for impeding other drivers at the pit out in qualifying under special rules imposed for this weekend. Finished fourth in the sprint, so Mercedes is looking pretty formidable again if they can keep tires under the car. Row five, P9, Sergio Perez in the Red Bull lost the final push lap in qualifying that he later reckoned could have been good enough for pole, but he had to back out for a yellow flag for Oscar Piastri's off. The number two bull has just one top four start in the last 15 races, but Checo grabbed a much-needed third place at a podium in the sprint. P10, Oscar Piastri for McLaren. Brought out that yellow flag by going off late on his last hot lap, then struggled with tires late in the sprint en route to 10th. Row 6, P11, Nico Hulkenberg and the Haas. Both Haas cars are top 12 on the grid for only the second time this season. The Hulk bettering teammate Kevin Magnussen for the 14th time in 20 races. You sure you don't want to interrupt me, Chris? No? Okay. P12, Kevin Magnuson in the second Haas. Last year's sprint pole sitter told reporters he almost didn't get to Brazil following last weekend's Mexican race due to a ticketing issue. He eventually had to fly coach, the poor thing. <laughs> Row seven, P13, Alex Albon and the Williams, who remains the only driver to outqualify his teammate, in this case, Logan Sargent, at every race thus far this season. P14, Esteban Ocon and the Alpine, another two-spot grid penalty for not following the race director's pit exit directions. But he did outrun his teammate for the first time in five starts, then finished behind him in the sprint, 14th and 15th. Row 8, P15, Pierre Gasly in the second Alpine, both Frenchmen nicked for impeding the pit exit, beaten by Ocon by just five thousandths of a second, then beat him by more than two seconds in the sprint. P16, Yuki Sonoda in the Alpha Tauri, eliminated in Q1 despite being within a half second of the quickest time in the section. And that's the smallest margin. It was like 0.496 or something. Smallest margin since the quali format debuted in 2006. Watch out, though. In the sprint, Yuki finished sixth, splitting Leclerc and Hamilton. Pretty stout company. Hmm. Row 9, P17, Daniel Ricardo in the second Alpha Tauri, the hero of Mexico City last weekend. Both Alpha Tauris were eliminated in Q1 for the first time since the British round in July. But Danny Rick finished just outside the sprint points in ninth and thinks he has something to give the field in the race today. P18, Valtteri Botas and the Alfa Romeo, a two-time pole sitter here in Brazil for Mercedes. Both Botas and teammate Zhou Guan Yu advanced to Q3 just a week ago in Mexico City. Here he's 18th, one place higher than he finished in the sprint. Row 10, Logan Sargent in the Williams P19 suffered big car setup issues Friday, lifting one of the front wheels at just about every corner and lost out in Q1 for the 16th time in 20 races. That's the highest among all active drivers. P20, Caboose on the field, Zhou Guan Yu in the Alpha, currently in the same championship position with the same number of points he finished with last season. So there's a silver lining to the cloud. Anything that good that happens to the Chinese driver today could set a new career high. So good luck to him. All right, Bob. Thank you, sir. And let's go ahead and sneak a break in here. And when we come back, well, we got some more interviews we're going to play. And um, we're going to get into the racing a little bit more, in a little deeper here. Listen to Speed City F1 back after a quick break. 
Facebook. Uh, let's what see. just happened? Did the sun come up in England, or is it going down in England, or it's somehow? It's gone down. Yeah. It's, it's, I was going to say so I had to the light on. <laughs> the angels want to hear from Chris, so ta-da! He has an aura. Oh. <laughs> I just, suddenly was like, why am I frowning at so much stuff, even with my glasses on? And I was like, oh, because it's dark in here. <laughs> you know, when it, when it happened sub- subtly or slowly, it was, uh, I just didn't really pick up on it. So, so Bob, before you hey, Chris, mentioned, saw... before you said that yep. Chris was the interrupt you, David Lawrence said, now that Chris is, is here, no interruption guaranteed, LOL. <laughs> I, at one point, I did think about doing it anyway, but I was like, you know what? I should probably let it run clean for once. And also, I just, wow. it was, I thought it would be typical though if something happened. I was looking on screen and keeping on like race control messages in case there was something oh, going that on. That would have been, that would have been perfect. That like yeah, would have been perfect. Right now too. Um, it was, uh, yeah, I good. saw it on Twitter. Your wife uh, was congratulating her colleagues. They won something. What was that? Yeah, the uh, the live broadcast at the British Grand Prix. Uh, so their coverage <laughs> for the British Grand Prix weekend, being their home race, they go bigger. They do a big live show on a Thursday night, and uh, uh-huh. it, it's it's huge what they do there. So uh, yeah, the, I think it was the sports broadcasting awards um they won the like best live show i think it was for their coverage That's of that cool. so uh, yeah. it's a real shame in a sense she was because we're back in the uk at the moment she was meant to go but uh part of this planning was that she was seeing her dad for one of the few times she gets to each year he was staying with us so uh she didn't make it to the actual award ceremony and a few people did comment they were like oh it's just a load of guys picking up the award where's all the representation and it's like well to be yeah. fair jess jess was meant to be there she just uh prioritized family yeah. so um, Where'd they give yeah. the awards out in London? Yes, yeah, it was. Uh, I can't remember quite where, but Central London, uh, at a nice awards ceremony, and and she was on the ground for that one. She was working as part of it and running around like a headless chicken for a lot of it. So uh, she did feel a, a big part of it as well because obviously it's always a team Good. effort. But like this weekend, she's off completely. She's not working, producing or or co-producing. Uh, so if it had been Silverstone and she hadn't done anything, uh, she probably would have been part of that. Bit. Hi, this is Jay Leno from jaylenosgarage.com, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. On, get a little out there into the big-hearted heart of Nevada. Nevada is yours to explore with 10 iconic road trips full of uncommon curiosities and delightful contradictions. Engines roaring, hearts, and mountain bluebirds soaring. Nevada is everything but boring. It's full of wide-open wonder. In fact, there are 60 million acres of public space to explore and adventure. This is the place to discover something strange, to feel intrigued, and to feel alive, and to leave better for it. Nevada's heart is historic, and here and now, down-to-earth and out-of-this-world, neon-lit and starlit too. Nevada is a place where you can be you or explore a new side of you, and to do the things you've never thought you'd do. Find unexplained art. Have a pecan punch to fill your heart. Go on, get a little out there. Start planning your trip at TravelNevada.com. Bob Varsha, I noticed you put in our show, Doc, uh, a couple things that I wanted to... One is that you said Perez quiets critic, question mark, with third, uh, third in the sprint. I... Yep. I you put a question mark there, and I'm going to answer it in my opinion, oh. and we'll get Chris's too. But discuss. I, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think that's enough. I think that. Um, I think that it's just that he's he's done so much 
you know, so much damage to his his season that this one one third in a sprint's not enough. Okay. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it was important for him, and it's certainly a step in the right direction. Uh, and off the back of Mexico and how painful that would have been, uh, I think it really is one where he needed to show a bit of a response and just get some solid points on the board. And yeah. it's particularly important in the fight with Hamilton, because I think a lot of people will judge it this way. Christian Horner has said it. It's not this binary that, you know, he's got a future if he stays second and not if he doesn't. But if Hamilton beats him to second this year, having been quite a long way behind him early on, and obviously the, the difference between the Red Bull and the Mercedes, uh, I think that will be really damaging. And I do think it'll upset Red Bull because they've never had a one-two in the drivers' championship ever, oh. and which which is a reminder of, of generally how one driver tends to excel, and then another one maybe less so, um, and you end up with this situation where you you know they, they don't both just run away with the championship or yeah. you know no one else can compete. It's that one is doing a brilliant job and then one is much more in the mix. Um, just a quick aside, by the way, because I'm I'm doing my pretending I'm on the grid because uh, I'm missing it so much. And I've seen that George Russell's car is in pieces on the grid right now uh, at the front. I believe that looks like they're working on the brakes uh, because they've got the nose cone off. They're looking at the brake reservoirs where the fluids are for the for the brake system and uh, the drums on both sides as well. So that's not normal. Uh, <laughs> we do see sometimes that sort of thing happen and, and it gets repaired in time. Uh, and it would just be, there must have been something that didn't feel right for Russell on the way to the grid and that they want to rectify it, but maybe they're bleeding the brakes, um, you know, because he felt that there just wasn't the right pressure, but yeah, that's um, one to keep an eye on certainly mm -hmm. a, just to being ready at the start, but B uh, if we see Russell struggling early on, uh, but to, yeah, return to, to Checo, I just think that he, he does need to keep Lewis at bay and, and getting third yesterday has opened that gap back up to 24 points, which is as good as a race win. So it'd be very unlikely that this weekend, it would completely yeah. turn around. Uh, but if Hamilton can outscore Perez today, and that isn't out of the question, given the fact that Checo is starting down in ninth and Lewis up in fifth, mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. you know if that if that gap's kind of the 15-point mark or even below going into the last two, the pressure's still on Checo. So I'd say today is more important than yesterday was. They just announced the, the uh, weekend attendance in Brazil, 267,000, which is healthy for a track that only has, you know, a limited number of grandstands. They're big, but as I mentioned before, they're all on the high ground looking down on the track. So everybody gets a good look. So still a healthy number. Yeah, that's a record for that race, mm -hmm. for that event over mm -hmm. the weekend. That's a, a new record. And as you say, they've expanded slightly with a few extra grandstands and some more seats in some of them, but also yeah. uh, internally in some of their hospitality areas, they've they've made them bigger. I think there's one, I don't know if we'll ever see a shot of it if anyone watches the, the coverage today, uh, but there's, you know, free free plug for Heineken, but there's a Heineken uh, hospitality area. It's in the big oh, star of Heineken. Awesome. Yeah, Just it's awesome. massive. Um, so yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's been able to increase capacity a lot as well. Yeah. Hey Chris, are you and, watching? Uh, are you watching that? Uh, you just watching the uh, the television coverage, or are you watching the F one TV? Um, one of the camera views from F one TV. I'm watching kind of neither. So um, as a as a permanent journalist, this is one of the perks I get. But we get access to uh, it's the world international feed. So it's what all of the broadcasters will take from five minutes before the race. When you see those graphics of the drivers all looking surly and moody, and um, mm -hmm. and the music plays, that's the moment that every TV provider is getting the same coverage. Now, before that, that same feed is, is available for them to take if they want it. And it's just getting crowd shots and grid shots and it's just generic atmosphere. Uh, but it does pick up when there's issues sometimes. Um, and it just gives you a bit of a, 
a bit of a vision. So it's normally what I'd see in the media center if I was sat in the media center watching at this point. Right. Uh, but yeah, uh, as most people know, I'd normally be annoying drivers or team bosses at this stage uh, and, and running around and sticking microphone in their face. Yeah, the uh, host broadcaster and other broadcasters if they get a permit for a camera on the grid can take their own shots. And, you, you know, the results are, as Chris said, you can get some some pretty incisive views of things that maybe the world feed wouldn't give it. But, you know, this we can't have enough views of what's going on down there. And the helicopter shots this weekend, presumably from the world feed, have been pretty spectacular. I think we can't go to the race without talking about the impact of tires from what we saw yesterday. The guys yeah. are having to manage, manage, manage. If you didn't do it right, you were in trouble. We're hearing that the hard is a part of the recommended pit strategies from Pirelli, but nobody wants to be on the hard at any point. <laughs> so how many sets of the softest compound do you have? How many sets of the medium compound do you have? How long can you stay on them? How many pit stops can you afford to make? Um, this is this is going to be really interesting. And what you see on the track may not be what's really happening in the cockpit. So I can answer those questions to you, Bob, because I wrote the uh, the strategy guide yesterday <laughs> and uh, got to look yeah. at everything that was going on. So lovely tea up there. Um, so the most likely strategy based on Pirelli's uh, own simulations and I will always caveat this with Pirelli does it if one car runs to the end of the race, what's the quickest route? Uh, and then what are the ones that are close to that that might be options too? But it doesn't factor in traffic, starting position, how certain cars use their tyres and other ones don't. So this is just a, a very basic way of looking at it. But for Pirelli, they say the quickest way to the end is to two-stop, start on the softs again, like yesterday, uh, a slightly shorter run, so maximum of 23 laps, which was a few laps or one lap less than the sprint distance was, switch to the mediums, run for roughly 25, 26 laps in the middle, maybe a bit longer, uh, and then switch back to the soft to the end. Uh, and it's just over 70 laps this race. But then if you don't want to use the soft so much, another option is to do basically the same thing, but you start on the medium, stay on the medium for the second stint, and then run to the end on the soft. The problem with that is you have to use two compounds. And if you've made your first pit stop you and you've used the medium twice, everyone knows you need to make another stop. For any reason, if you started on the soft, you switch to the medium, and then we have a long safety car period that lets you look after them or the degradation's not so high and you want to risk going to the end, you can. Whereas you can't do that if you stay on the medium for the first two stints because you have to run another compound at some stage. The third quickest, this is the interesting part, was a three-stop race. Uh, and that's starting on the soft for a shorter stint, 13 to 18 laps, then getting onto the mediums for about a 20, just over 20 lap stint on the medium, and then two short stints on the soft towards the end. Again, another kind of 15 for each, 15 laps for each stint. Um, but you do need more new sets available for that. Uh, and if I look up and down, only Valtteri Bottas has three new sets of softs. Uh, Joe Guanyu has two, so does Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, sorry, Logan Sargent has three as well, actually. For most others, they only have one. Uh, and in fact, uh, Carlos Sainz, Lewis Hamilton, George Russell and Sergio Perez don't have any new softs. That doesn't mean they couldn't run some, but they've qualified at least on them or done done some laps at some stage. That just means they've right. taken the edge off slightly. <clears throat> so I don't expect those guys to go for three stops. And then the other one, as you say, uh, Bob, is that the hard, if you want to use it, you start on the medium, you run to about lap 25 to 32, and then you fit the hard and run to the end. But that could be difficult. It could be that the hard is too slow because it's nearly a mm -hmm. second a lap slower than the soft. But also that if your degradation does hit late on, then you're going to get overtaken because people are going to be coming at you on fresh soft tires uh, and there's going to be a big performance delta. So right. that's why it's not <clears throat> simple. 
Um, and as you say, it depends on who's got what. I think for most, it, it's likely to be either a soft or medium tire start. Uh, and for those, the majority of drivers have at least two sets of new medium tires, so they're fine. The only ones who don't have that and therefore may be slightly adverse to doing medium, medium, soft are the Mercedes drivers, uh, Pierre Gasly, Lando Norris, Valtteri Bottas, uh, and then the two Alfa Tauris of Ricardo and Sonoda. Mm -hmm. The key thing on the medium tire from Pirelli yesterday was that you got no particular performance advantage. The, the, it was almost as though the medium wasn't, you know, in the performance window they wanted. It wasn't quick enough, basically, uh, to use it for very long, particularly if you're up against guys on softs, even used softs. I just saw a quick look at George Russell's car. They still don't have the front wheels on it. So uh, could be some concern there. Everybody else seems to uh, have their wheels and tires on. And there is a point in the rules at which you must have your wheels on the car ready to go. Yeah, that's much later, though. That's at the five-minute warning. So they've still got another, right. what, 11 minutes till that. Uh, and I've seen, I'm just trying to actually find uh, whether Mercedes have, have tweeted this. Um, but I believe that they have confirmed that everything is fine uh, in terms of um, George's car, that they fixed whatever they needed to. So, um, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll put the actual wheels on it maybe a little bit later. Um, but, yeah, it, it's looking... It's looking like it's uh, a concern only if when they go on the formation lap, and maybe that's where in the coverage we'll listen for the team radio from George if he says, you know, still an issue or, you know, that's not improved things because you right. need your brakes around. You need your brakes anywhere. But for the amount of overtaking that's done here, uh, if you're not confident on the brakes into turn one and turn four, you're in a lot of trouble. Mm. All right, guys. Um, coming up after this, I want to talk a little bit about the Haas F1 team. They are starting in a pretty good position, especially considering where they have been recently. And uh, we're going to hear from uh, at least one of the Haas F1 drivers immediately after this. Listen to Speed City F1 back after these messages. All right, let's see what's going on out on YouTube. Uh, David Lawrence says, if the tire wear sucks as bad as some drivers allege, the hard may be the best option unless we have a three-stop between medium and scuffed softs. Okay. That would be a Michael Schumacher strategy. <laughs> uh, Run the wheels off of it, switch up and go. Oh, and then, and then uh, he asked a question and Chris answered it. He said, that's why you're the best, Chris. So, oh, thank you very much. Check checks in the post. <laughs> you know, I think a certain amount of this, you know, the drivers say, oh, it's undrivable. They're just not getting what they want, um, which is understandable. But, you know, that was part of the deal. That's why Pirelli was told, make a tire that'll fall off. Just doesn't fall off when the driver necessarily wants it to. Yeah, I think Connor said it right, didn't he? He teed it up for us nicely that actually uh, the the fact that drivers could push and go again and they weren't, you know, the fight wasn't over after a couple of laps shows that the right. tire isn't that bad. You know, that, that no. you can look after them, you can manage them. Um, and the, the choice was still made. I mean, we can maybe get into this when we're back on air, but the choice was still made by all those teams to run the soft. They preferred mm -hmm. it. They, they have harder compounds right. if they want. Um, but there's a, there's a few uh, different details that seem to have played into why that was the case. So I'll, I'll, I'll explain yeah. that actually when we come back because Haas starting on the medium is a, a good talking point for that as well. Yeah, yeah cool. and Logan Sargent was on the medium as well, and it, it didn't do what they hoped it would. Hey, Casey, let's, was going let's on play um, uh, Hulkenberg when we come back. I'll get a quick live read, and then we'll do. We'll get that one queued up for us. 
Joe voiced your bass says, just saw Brendel irritatingly squeezed by Hinchcliffe on the grid walk, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> Bet if it was Danica Patrick, he would have. <laughs> All right, careful, careful. I think Hinch has been hey, a great addition on. to their coverage. I've been um He has been. Yeah, very, very impressed. Yeah, Chris, I if we had him on wheel to wheel, he was really impressed. He really impressed me. He's he was yeah. super well prepared. Here we go. We were sitting next to each other on the flight home from Mexico. Oh. Hi, this is Karun Chandok, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. The Speed City F1 pre-race show on Sirius XM is brought to you by CrowdStrike. Stop today's most sophisticated cyber attacks at the office, the racetrack, and everywhere in between. Learn more at CrowdStrike.com slash XM. All right, we're going to talk a little Haas F1. And I noticed some interesting comments from the man, Gunther Steiner. He said talking about uh, the sprint, and he said uh, it was a very disappointing result, starting P11 and B12, and where we finished, it's not good enough, said Steiner. And someone tweeted at us, one of our regular fans, said something about, um, in fact, I think I mentioned this last week, and that is Gunther Steiner going to come under pressure at some point because the team's not, not performing like they should? And we've got a clip here from Nico Hulkenberg because he's been a little bit vocal about the team and the disappointing results. Let's hear from Nico. Right, thank you very much. Thank you. I think it would have made no difference what we started on. You know, at the end of the day, our performance is just poor, too poor. We were missing downforce compared to the others. And, you know, you're always going to pay the price for that. So what about tomorrow? Is you're starting in a very similar position? Yeah, looking not, not looking great to be honest with you. Uh, obviously, we can't change anything overnight. We're on the park Ferme, so uh, not the best outlook for tomorrow. Yeah, he's been really downbeat a lot lately, hasn't he, guys? Ooh. Yeah, he really has. Um, I think partly because it was tough, wasn't it, for a big spell of the season, and the focus was on the upgrade they were going to bring to Austin, and they were really hoping that would show just some positive direction. That whether it actually moved them forwards in terms of the standings was another matter, but that if it did what they wanted and it improved the car a bit, then that gives you hope and optimism for the future. And I just feel like there was con conflicting messages after that race that the upgrade had done what they expected from the technical team, hadn't from the drivers and from Gunther's point of view. So I, I think there's um, a lot still to be learned there. And it, it does show that potentially they're not completely set on what they're doing with that car and what they're doing for next year's car, more importantly, which is probably why at this stage there's a bit of a bit of fear about it. Um, because, yeah, it, it could be that they, they're on the back foot to start next season. But hopefully yeah. what they'll do is, is take these learnings of the struggles they're having and, and be able to implement them um, into next year's car to make sure that they don't have the same struggles next year. And maybe cooler temperatures today maybe help the Haas team because, you know, they've struggled with, you know, getting the tires right during the race. Maybe, Chris, you think? Uh, absolutely, yeah. And um, as Nico mentioned at the start, he said it didn't matter what tire we started on. The two Haas drivers started on the medium yesterday, as did Logan Sargent. They were the only three to do that. And when we've hit, heard this complaint about, you know, degradation and the softs going off, you think, well, why don't you just put on a, a harder compound and you'd be fine? Uh, but Pirelli seems to think that because of the lack of grip, because of the rain that they had on Friday night, and that really, it was torrential. It, it covered the track with all sorts of muck. They had to clean it. So grip levels were low yesterday. So the soft gave you more natural or kind of, um, I 
forgotten the word I want, but the kind of uh, grit from the actual compound itself. Um, and I, I think they almost almost like chemical grit, like the chemical interaction between the tire and the, and the, and the surface. Uh, whereas mm -hmm. the medium, just because it's a slightly harder tire, didn't give you that same grip level. It meant you slid more. And in the high temperatures, you overheated the tire and it then degraded just as quickly as the soft, if not more so. So you didn't get the performance advantage of speed but you also got higher levels or just as high levels of degradation. And that's not really how the medium's meant to work. Today, I think it will work more like it's supposed to. The, the grip level's better. You know, the weather's been better. There's not been rain since. Uh, the risk of rain, according to the FIA, is 0% for this race. So they, they've got higher grip levels. That should mean that the medium reacts a bit better, doesn't slide so much, doesn't overheat so much, has a longer life. So I think we've got a, a very different picture uh, and maybe that medium will be worth using. Uh, so potentially Haas, if they want to use it, uh, will be in a better place. I really hope yesterday didn't actually kind of scare them too much because I think anyone who does yeah. run it will have a better time. <clears throat> yeah. I'm watching the uh, TV pictures there. It's partly cloudy skies. We talked about the air temperature being lower. The track temperature is bound to be a bit lower too because you're not getting that radiant sun on the track all the time, heating and heating. And so, um, yeah, this is going to be interesting. I think we may see very different tire performance than what we saw yesterday. Quite interestingly, though, Bob, as you mentioned that, um, the track temperature is still up at, at 47.5 degrees where I've gone and closed my converter, but we're you know, well into the hundreds there, aren't we? Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and that but is it was in the min 50s yesterday. It was, but it's not a million miles off given that we're at, at what, 60, high 60s compared to mid 80s yesterday in terms yeah, of air yeah. temperature. There was a bigger gap um, because, and that's just going to be because the sun on a dark tarmac will warm it. Um, but as right. you say, the second the cloud cover hits, because the ambient temperature is lower, that's going to cool down more quickly. So later yeah. in the race, we'll see track temperatures drop a lot more. Uh, but also just even during, you might see it fluctuate, which is always actually quite a cool aspect that goes unnoticed. If the if the air temperature is meaning the track temperature drops quickly under cloud cover, then mm -hmm. you, you only need a, a couple of minutes under cloud cover in a race. And suddenly the track temperature is and the track uh, condition is so different that, that cars are handling differently and, and pace fluctuates so uh, it can right. have a really big impact yeah and i don't know if you mentioned this earlier forgive me if you did but they, if they have we used to call it diamond cut the track to assist with water runoff rain runoff uh, potentially and then they found that that was being filled up by mud and then they wash all that out i'm wondering if that diamond cutting if that's what it is um is contributing to the tire degradation problems too, make it even harder than the asphalt would if it were smooth. But um, you know, it's all all part of the fun. Everything factors in. And well, just to quickly follow up on that as well, different parts of the track have been resurfaced and other parts haven't. Uh, it's a bit like a complaint around Austin where you know it was a bit patchwork in places. I thought it was great. It's a challenge for the drivers. Uh, but yeah. here it's the same. Mm -hmm. There's the certain corners you'll see darker patches of asphalt, uh, and that again means that you get different grip levels at certain times. You your car slides more on one corner than it does another one. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's a real challenge. They have to kind of feel their way through. The international feed is running. It's open now, and they've got a lot of period footage of the old track and cars slinging through that long first corner. And of course, lots of Ayrton Senna. It took a long time to win this race. When he finally did win it in 91, it was, what, his sixth, seventh attempt to win his home race? And everybody wondered, is he ever going to do it? And he finally did. And it took a lot. Didn't his car get stuck in gear or something that year? He had to be helped to hold up the, the Brazilian flag on the podium. Huh. Yeah, he was in a lot of pain there with his shoulders and his back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was an iconic, iconic shot. Uh, and it is a bit of a shame we don't have a Brazilian on the grid right now because... Yeah, good race for them. In the same way that Checo brings energy to the Mexico City Grand Prix. Sure. 
it'd be the same yeah. here with a Brazilian driver. Guys, we just got about five more minutes. I'm just looking at starting grid tomorrow. Of course, Max Verstappen on pole, but Charles Leclerc starting beside him on the front row. And we talked all about these starts. We talked about Lando's starts yesterday. Uh, I'm trying to remember how good of a, a starter Charles Leclerc is. What do you think, Chris? you think we have a, a shot at Leclerc beating Max to the turn one? Yeah, the Ferrari starts have actually been pretty good this year. Uh, I know Leclerc started on pole uh, with Sainz alongside him in Mexico last week, but that was less about the launch they got, although Max did get a better one, uh, but more about the slipstream effect from there. So I think, yeah, there's a chance. Also, this is a very tricky grid. Um, it used to be something that's ni nice for me to explain when I stood on it, but it's heavily, uh, there's a big angle on it. So you're very much pointing uphill uh, if you're on the first, mm -hmm. I think it's four to five rows and then it kind of flattens for a spell. So drivers need to be on the brake, which is unusual. Mm -hmm. They have to have their foot on the brake while they're trying to get the, the bite point right. And so the launch, depending on which grid slot you're in, is different because of the angle of the track. So if you're further right. back and you're near a flat, you can do something that's a bit more, dare I say it, normal based on what you'll have practiced at the end of the pit lane. If you're on pole or second or you know the first few rows, you're at such a steep angle that you you probably need to put down a little bit more power to get that forward momentum. You're probably hurt slightly by the fact that you're uphill. Uh, and there's a chance then that you spin the wheels and it all goes wrong. So uh, yeah, this is probably one of the trickiest grids uh, to get off the line initially, which is probably what we yeah. then saw yesterday. Uh, but it's a short run to turn one. So you need to really make it clear what you're going to do before you get there. Yeah, anybody who drives a manual transmission what? car and starts on a, a stoplight when the light turns green when you're on a hill, they know exactly what you're talking about. Hey, yeah, let's not forget. My little piece a bit more. Go ahead. I was just saying, not, let's not forget Lance Stroll starting in third and his teammate Fernando Alonso right behind him because of the uh, the dark that, that came during the day <laughs> during qualifying on Friday. So, yeah, that could be interesting yeah. too. I mean, we've got to praise Aston Martin for the turnaround on Friday. They've been really impressive. Yeah. And they had good pace in yesterday's race, starting from a long way back after all the incidents and Fernando yeah. colliding with Esteban in the sprint shootout. Uh, they moved forward and, and looked looked quick. But maybe they were helped by the conditions yesterday. And again, that they might not have that same advantage today in cooler conditions yeah. because they seem to have been struggling for downforce a yeah. little bit. And, and if they don't have that downforce, um, then today is the day that they're going to see the pain of it yeah just like I, kevin magnuson a year ago taking pole with the helps of mother nature now i can make us all look really clever because remember we were talking about who's going to start on which tires and what the strategy is going to be yeah 19 Please. of the 20 drivers are starting on the soft compound tire <laughs> only logan Sargent, he will start on the medium uh, but everyone else is on softs and the difference is that max is on used softs and charles on in second is on new uh, mm. so he might just get a little bit of an advantage off the line with that uh, Lance Stroll on new as well and as I scroll down most are on news you have to go back to Hulkenberg and Magnussen on new softs uh, as a next pair and then you've got Ricardo Bottas and Joe also on new softs everyone else except Sergeant on new mediums uh, are on used soft tires uh, all right guys we got about a minute left uh, let's get your predictions Mr. Varsha you want to give us yours first uh, Stappen to win Leclerc for second, Lando Norris for third. Ah, uh, okay. Chris? I'm going to go Verstappen, Norris, Hamilton. Ah, you stole mine. Uh, I'll <laughs> go I'll go Verstappen. Uh, let's see. Not Lance Stroll. 
I'm going to go. Oh, you get to take the whole minute. Go ahead. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go Verstappen, Alonzo, Hamilton. How about that? I'll throw it up a little bit here. All right, You're everybody. Thank, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate Connor Daly coming on. That was fantastic having him on the show. Absolutely. Uh, stay, stay right here for the race and uh, come back after the race and give us your opinion. In fact, write the phone number down, 512 512- Six four three five four eight three. Give us your opinion after the race, and we will talk to you after the race.